Hey everyone, this is Scott with Leading Edge Archery. Welcome to episode number two, correct? Numero dos. Numero dos for, uh, actually, you know what, we're not say that because we might have to edit that out. <laughs> we might be banking up for later, but hey. Uh, we got a good guest coming on later today, so we're going to go ahead and uh, talk about some other stuff before that and kind of get an episode for maybe later in release, but uh, talk about really the state of affairs in archery today. And I'm talking everything from the top to bottom and east to west, north to south. Um, kind of like manufacturers, there's a lot of questions. I've been looking at all this stuff coming out on social media about Hoyt, actually, for example, today. And just kind of talk about where the manufacturers are from our standpoint, what it looks like. Um, this may not be a popular topic with some of them, but I think it needs to be talked about because um, probably since I've been in this industry and it's been over, God, 20 some years, I've never seen it like this. And Bridger, you were looking at it from a target perspective, professional perspective on the other side. I mean, I mean, same thing, like, yeah. you know, as far as, I mean, the biggest thing for us as a store is lead times and that sort of stuff with different products and yeah. manufacturers being able to a get raw materials to build stuff. And then how long it's going to take them to build that stuff once they get right. it too. Right. So they're, I mean, we've got a lot of manufacturers that are, you know, six, eight plus months out yeah, on, exactly. on product. So yeah, I don't know if it was true, but I know. So, you know, we can kind of jump right in and, uh, Hoyt released a video and a, an apology, um, posts on Instagram and Facebook. And, uh, gosh, yeah, there were some comments in this section that, uh, I think there were retailers. And I know one guy specifically said that, yeah, he was not getting a bow until January. You know, that's unprecedented. That's six months. Crazy. No, it's more than six more months. Than yeah, it's nine. Um, uh, you, that's just mind boggling to me. We're lucky. We're a pretty big store, really big Hoyt dealer. We've got some bows. I think we've got probably 12 in right now in stock and they're shipping every day to us, but man, those guys out there, that's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. But you also dropped your order well, uh, well ahead of time. Yeah, exactly. November timeframe. Yeah. Um, it's, which is kind of weird. You know, we can talk a little bit about that. Maybe go down a rabbit hole on the sight unseen yeah. ordering. Well, it's just funny because I mean, we sell enough that we, you know, we know we're going to end yeah. up ordering enough. So we put in a decent sized order, but if you're a smaller shop and you only have, you know, you get your preview pack to see what right. the bows are, to see what your customer reaction is. And then you put your order in. Those guys are the ones that are SOL right now. Yeah. You know, not being able to get well, anything. Just for you folks. I mean, it's, I don't think it's a big deal to share this, but um, we have to place orders before we see the bows. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a sight unseen preview pack. And most of the manufacturers operate this way where we go in and just place an order for what we think is coming out. Kind of have to guess on whether it's going to be a hot item or not based off the limited information that we have. And usually it's nothing. And you're just, and you're just rolling the dice, whether, whether it works or not. People might like the bow. People might hate it. Yeah, exactly. If they hate it, you're stuck. <laughs> you are screwed. Um, yeah, so it's a, it's a weird industry from that standpoint. And we were, we got lucky. We just took a, took a chance and we bought a crap ton in November. I mean, a bunch. I think we bought as many as we were allowed to order. Yeah. Let's put it that way. Won't go over the numbers, but it was a lot. And, um, and I think because of that and the popularity of the bow this year with supply chain and everything and all the manufacturing is, it's a perfect storm of problems. I mean, it's crazy. Well, you, um, you throw in all the lockdowns and everybody not having yeah. anything to do. Well, so, you know, we're a bow and then you your know, kid I, wants a bow and then his friend wants a bow and then his dad wants a bow and it's just an avalanche of. Yeah. It's, 
It's crazy. Yeah. And then you look at, you know, we were talking about a little bit about this a minute ago, but you know, <laughs> I just looked on Instagram and seen the, the guys filling up totes and five gallon trash cans. Oh, the gasoline. Gasoline. I mean, are you kidding me? I mean, seriously, I looked at that and just thought people literally are the dumbest. We got to be right now the dumbest race of human beings that's ever inhabited the planet. All I can think of is the dodo. That's what we're acting like right now. Dodos. <laughs> it's, it's unbelievable. Yeah. At least I mean, they're putting it in containers. I saw a couple of pictures of people putting it in, in like triple bagging trash oh, bags. I and putting it in are their you kidding trunk. me? The, the, the garbage bag, clear garbage bags full of them. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, in the trunk of the car. I mean, for real, that is unbelievable. Bridger, you weren't here yet, but back in 2017 when Harvey hit, uh, oh, I'm sure. I remember I was at, down here. Yeah, I was I was doing something, and my cousin called me. He's like, "Hey, man, you better top off your vehicles." This is like one o'clock in the afternoon. It's like, "What are you talking about?" I said, "Yeah, apparently there's going to be a gas shortage or something." Of course, me being me, I left it for the last minute. When I was driving home, there's a there's a gas station by the house, and there was a line, probably about a mile and a half long, yeah, of cars going into that one little gas station, and there was a guy on the side of the road. Yeah, it's this big old truck with a bunch of uh, the little red five-gallon containers. Yeah. He was selling them for 80 bucks a pop. And probably selling oh, them like crazy. No, 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 no. Just, just oh, the just containers empty. were being sold for 80 sold. bucks. Yeah. Yeah. I remember well, driving yeah. around with my mom that night. Courtney was in, in Canada on vacation, and we drove around. And it must have been till like 3 in the morning. And I finally found a gas station in the back of one of the Air Force bases on the south side. Wow. I was able to top off. And then I drove home and stayed home for the rest of the week. Yeah. Well, how we had it just a few, you know, a couple months ago when we had that, that freeze and snowstorm down here. Oh yeah. yeah. When, when Cody, one of our employees went out to look for uh diesel fuel for our Couldn't little shop it. heater, yeah. like yeah. all the gas station, not all of them were out of fuel. Yeah. It's yeah. crazy. We're such a reactionary society now. It's craziness. Well, the funny thing is that gas shortage in, in 17 was caused by social media. Yeah, there was well, no well, real cash shortage. Yeah. yeah, and that's what it is today. Yeah. Let's be honest. It's it's people it's, freaking out. And then that homeboy that had six fifty five gallon drum <laughs> with the gas in the <laughs> bed of his truck. Like, I mean, that truck, you got to imagine 55 gallons of that, six of them. You know how much? I don't think that truck could have moved. I, I, I mean, it, it, looked, it looked like a, a half ton. I mean, it would have moved. It just would have been <laughs> awful heavy. Yeah, you think? Well, yeah, I mean, you're not going to burn through that much gas. No, no. Well, and what's funny, so you take that situation, though, and you compound it with everything else that's going on in this industry. And that just archery. Yeah. And now you look at all industries. I mean, we've heard through customers that have businesses and in, in other rec- outdoor recreational sports that. Yeah. We're not the only ones. We're not the only ones. No, yeah. No, no. And it's just, it's just unbelievable. You remember I was, I was getting into gun building. Oh yeah. Yeah. I talked to, I talked to the dealer that I used to work with on Monday and he said that they're filling orders from July of last year because <laughs> they can get certain parts, but like a stripped upper, barrels and uh what do you say bolt carrier groups yeah can't find them yeah can't find them and all the parts that were coming from overseas are on on hold on back order and everything that's american made one it's out of stock and two you're adding like a 60 to 80 80 dollar price uh price yeah increase on it well you know it's funny you say that the scary part is is you know what's this going to do for inflation oh it's going to be nice he's going to go through the ceiling because you know we've already heard that uh um interest rates on homes are starting to creep up now Mm -hmm. something's got to 
give to correct the market. And it's either got to be a decrease in demand because I don't think supply chain is getting any better. Correct. Um, I, I, you know, and it, what's, and then if you look at everything going on in the world today, I mean, there's so much chaos going on. Yeah. Um, I think that's going to help, help hinder supply chain even more trying to, cause you know, we got a ton of parts in our industry that come from overseas. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a reality. Well, that small manufacturing exactly. stuff. Yeah. And it's to the point now, I think there's only probably what three or four steel manufacturers left in the United States that are actually operational and they're probably peaked out, maxed out for the next 24 months for all you know. Um, it's crazy, but, uh, you know, but yeah, once again, Hoyt is just so far. I feel bad for him and I don't want to make this about Hoyt because they're not the only ones, but I, the rumor is like with Matthews, mm-hmm. you know, I think I've heard that they're pushed out till September, October right now for bows that are ordered today. So don't quote me on that, but that's what I'm hearing amongst the other retailers or friends of ours that, that uh, work in this industry. Um, you know, I, we've been doing a state of the union address for archery for our customers on our, our Facebook and Instagram page and uh, every two weeks. And as of last week, I know prime was at, I think 12 to 14 weeks now. I think they've backed up yeah. their demands getting b- bigger. And that's, what's crazy right now. Typically, this is the summer months where everything starts to slow down. It's, it's, yeah, it slows down a little bit. And everybody kind of catches up, exactly. and gets a second breathe, and yeah. get all their stuff, all their poop in a group before <laughs> you know before bow release time and hunting season. Yeah, and, and that's not really happening. Now. Yeah, it's been every bit. I mean, it, we're slower than what we were, you know, Christmas hunting, time, yeah, hunting season yeah, hunting, to Christmas yeah. time. But compared to, I mean, I guess I can't even really compare it to this time oh, last year. Prior? But like, yeah, it's up this time you know, in years past is normally a slower time of year. Right. We are a little slower, but not nearly as, you know, slow as we normally are. No, no. And it's just, it's just crazy because that's, I just don't think the manufacturer to get a, a, a lull in business to get caught up during these next two to three months. And if it sustains itself, this is going to be critical for retailers, especially in how we order and whether we have inventory or not come the fall and Christmas time. Because, you know, I made a suggestion if it was me, you know, I'd gamble and not release a new bow next year. I don't think the industry can handle it right now. And I don't know how they're going to do it if they decide to do it. Yeah. Um, if I'm a CEO of a large manufacturer at this point in time, I'm, I'm going to step back and get, hit the get pause button. First. Yeah. Because here's the thing. You can look at Hoyt. Hoyt's got a really hot bow and we keep going back to them, but their bow, they changed a lot of things on it. So it's a really hot bow right now. Mm-hmm. And they're going to have a lot of ticked off customers, I think third quarter of this year, second, you know, going into second, third quarter. Why would you not want to just get that customer base satisfied, get them happy and then wait and re-release again in 2022 when you're, when you're current? Cause if you go, if you take a risk and re-release a new bow and you never get caught up on last year's, you're, you know, which would be this year's, yeah. you just, you're just exasperating the problem. Well, I'd be pretty, pretty pissed off if I ordered a bow. Yeah. It's still on hold. And then a new one comes out and I never got to shoot the, other one that I ordered. And that is what I think might happen. And then you may not get a chance to recover that customer back to your neck of the woods yeah, from, a, probably cancel, from a loyalty standpoint. Yeah. Cancel my order. Go find I something mean, else. Customers are fickle. Yeah. They, they are. And I don't say, I mean it in a bad way, but you know, it, it takes about, you know, I, in this, in, in our industry and in, in corporate world, when I was a, a director for a lot of big companies, I always just used to tell our salespeople, you know, it literally takes years to build a customer, to have a loyal customer. It takes years. Mm-hmm. It literally takes seconds to lose that guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, we used to have customers just tell us go pack sand and um, off one thing, one little thing, mm-hmm. you know, and then 
after it took us a year and a half to get our foot in the door and get that guy's, you know, loyalty. And uh, archery I see is no different. Yeah. This is the Ford Chrysler Chevy industry. You know, these guys are loyal to a fault, but I can see them this year making some major changes and jumping ship based off supply chain. Um, you know, we, so we talked a little bit about, and it's uh, not just that it's going to hurt the, the dealers and the shops too. Oh, it's killer. If you don't carry what they want, they're going to go find someone else and you find know, someone else. And I get a lot of heat from manufacturers and I won't name who, but, um, because we're not, we don't single source. They, a lot of the manufacturers think we have too many offerings because we offer five mm-hmm. manufacturers. Um, that ends up being a blessing for us because I know some shops that are single sourced or maybe just two and right now don't have product to sell. Yeah. That's a problem. I mean, I, I just don't see the, you know, I understand the, you know, when you, when you single source or just have two manufacturers, you can buy more effectively, you know, your product offerings meant more less for your customers. But in today's world, if you only had the one or two, what happens if they were when one you run out? Ones, you're, yeah, what happens when you run out? They're not going to be able to resupply you, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I think you're going to see a lot of shops, unfortunately, close this year. Yeah. I don't think they're going to make it. I mean, the buying decisions are going to be paramount. I mean. Because you, it's going to be the haves and the have-nots, like you said it a minute ago. It's, you, yeah, the the you know, I have nothing to sell. Yeah, the demand is there to make all the money in the world, but I don't have anything to sell them. It's hard to make any money. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Everybody wants to take take a hundred percent down payment on a on a bow. They're not going to see for you know yeah. six eight months. You know, it's funny you said. I seen a guy yesterday. He's got a Hoyt on order and he put a thousand dollars down on it in uh, December. His bow's still not here. I mean, that's a long time, you know, to, for us to hold his money. I mean, good for us kind of, but yeah, for the customer, I just, I sat there and seen it and was like, my God, the guy can't be real happy right I now. Mean, after, after this weekend, I might have a bow for sale. <laughs> yeah. Your bow's worth a lot of money. Right. <laughs> right. You know, it's funny you say that. I was looking in the showroom and we actually have a true ball Excel achieve XP site. Really? <laughs> that thing, that thing's worth a fortune right now. Well, actually you have like, three sitting in the, in the glass case in the front. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. I seen it. I probably have more than any other company out there. Right now. I'm, if you need one, call me. You might be sitting on a gold mine. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> true balls offers, I know what I have. Comes, comes with, comes with five free rounds of nine millimeter. Yeah. <laughs> I, well, the, and the, but you know, you look at the, that's the thing. You even look at the manufacturers on the accessory side. Ooh. I was talking to true ball. They, they, they can't even tell you anything. I wonder if you were uh, a landslide site. Last week, I was told it would ship in about three months. See, and that's just weird. So, Trueball just came out with this big suite of new sites. Mm-hmm. Um, what a month ago, I think. A couple months. Why? You you have they've got back orders on their current product offering. I heard, I know for a fact, ninety to one hundred and twenty days out. Why would you front load yourself with more stuff? that people are going to want when you can't get caught up on the, on the legacy. I know that, that makes no sense to me. Whatsoever. I know that they are taking stuff to uh, tournaments and stuff like that. Like their, their travel trailers. Yeah. They're stocked. showing it off. No. Mm-hmm. To sell. Yeah. Come on. Mm-hmm. Well, God, let's just go to the shoots and just buy everything. Just buy it all. <laughs> buy, it, buy it all. It, it works. <laughs> I mean, seriously, you can't get it right now. Yeah. Heck, Lancaster doesn't have it. None. Well, whatever Lancaster gets. It's already pre-sold. Yeah, I believe. So, and I think it's, I mean, it's not necessarily the manufacturer's fault. I think everybody's just into this sport now. 
So everybody's oh, yeah. ordering. And honestly, I think, I don't know, in my opinion, I think that one of the big things that is hurting is that whole pre-order pay now because you'll never get caught up. No. More, more people are going to order no. versus if it's just out of stock, it's out of stock. You can't order. Yeah. People get caught up then they offered, but. Well, and I heard like PSC mm. is moving their production facility. Oh, I have no idea. Yeah. From what I, I heard, think they're I just heard getting they're a moving. bigger building in the same city though. Either way, yeah. you're going to try to transition a business in today's market, yeah, they're gonna... in today's world. And that I think it has to do with them being at that, their long 12, 15 week lead time they're currently at It's right going to. It's going to put them six months back. Oh, if, I mean, it just, if, yeah, they could build uh, twice as many bows in the same amount of time though. This is true. It, it will be a good move, but what happens in an interim while they're trying to make that transitional move? I mean, you remember when Scott did it, Yeah, they moved Scott and uh slick trick. I think it was to mm-hmm. New York. That was a fiasco. I mean, I know personally, I know one retailer that kind of dropped them after that because, you know, they were, you know, definitely over, committing underproducing big time. And that was not their fault. It was just a nature of them trying to move a business from what Kentucky to New York. Yeah. That's well, not I mean, the same thing feat. happened when, you know, and it happens all the time in multiple different <clears throat> industries when moves like that happen. I mean, it was the same thing a few years ago when Faradine after Faradine purchased uh, Eastman outdoors with carbon right. express and yeah. uh, whatever other brands they had, yeah. like mainly carbon express. You know, what's funny though. <sighs> It's weird to see these companies that are, they're big. These are big businesses for the most part. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to say it because I came out of big corporate America. They are so poorly run from the top down. It's scary. I'm just going to say it. I mean, uh, they're going to get mad at me. Don't care <laughs> the, because it is, it's a, it's an issue. I mean, I, I, I sit there and look, I mean, I was a supply chain specialist working with an engine you know, from an engineering perspective. And it was just, it's mind boggling how, this industry does things. I think they're, they're so stuck in their ways from over 20 and 30 years of doing things the way they always have. Yeah. They, they don't, they don't, there's no innovation. There's no growth. You know, there's a couple of them that do a really good job of it, but for the most part, it's, it's just scary to see how some of the decisions that are made. Heck you look at us. We are coming upon our lease ending, mm-hmm. you know, and, and Philip and I have talked about it and decided we're probably going to have to stay where we are for another two years. Cause think about it. If we go and try to, buy land and dirt's expensive right now. Yeah. And then you try to build yeah. your own facility. Oh. Building costs are up like 75% right now. Yeah. Lum- lumber is up almost 600%. So I was talking to one of our staff shooters, Victor, and he's a builder. Mm-hmm. He was telling us that he bid a house last year for a customer that I think it had like $40,000 in building materials cost. Well, the customer called back and wants to start now he had to go back and rebid it and it was $120,000. Yeah. And that bid is only good for seven days. That customer has got to make a decision within a seven day window or that he's got to go back to the building material company to get a new bid mm-hmm. because things are moving by the week, not by the month or year or whatever. So we thought, you know, if we go in and build now, we're going to build at a premium. And then if the market corrects it's itself, it goes back down to, yeah, we're going to be, we're going to be upside down for probably a, forever. Have a $4 million building that's worth about, exactly (laughs) yeah and so so we we decided decided, yeah this is not a good time let's just push the pause button Mm -hmm. and you just don't see companies doing that in our industry like with psa moving and stuff and i just think it's a crazy poor timing and and concentrate on your core business was getting your customer satisfied get your stuff out there in the marketplace as quickly as possible you know elite archery the outdoor group Mm -hmm. 
right now is the best positioned archery company, I think, out there. From, from bow, our standpoint. From bow manufacturer, for sure. For bow manufacturer, I, I, no, even sites and releases. There, yeah. Sites are running right now about seven to 12 days, I think it, Blake told me. Um, their releases are about two weeks. I mean, they're sitting in a really good position because I can tell you, all the other high-end site manufacturers, not to name any names, yeah, they're four to six months. They're way out there. So I, I have told, it's not a secret, I told our rep, you need to get on the phone. You need to call everybody. Because mm-hmm. I know some companies that went out and bought, you know, what we call the second tier sites and releases because they're in stock. Yeah. And so, you know, not keeping your customer base in that high-end category, I mean, it's going to be, like you said, Bridger, the haves and the have-nots. It's crazy out there right now. Because that's, um, so, you know, we've told all of our customers, we'll tell you guys listening, better get in there and get it. Cause come uh, August, <laughs> it may not be there. Yeah. I mean, cause uh, we, everybody that's gearing up for hunting season. Oh, now's the time. Now's the time. You better get in there. Hey, even arrows. I know you were having trouble getting, I mean, you're a staff shooter for, for, for Easton, Easton, the pro staff, and you can't even get arrows to go <laughs> compete with. Heck, we ordered him arrows from, called in a favor with Mick, I think it yeah, was. Well, we? luckily, Steve, I got a whole Steve. He's got like a little side stash. A little stash. Ah, He's got okay. a side stash. But <laughs> yeah, I got lucky and ordered all of mine in January. Yeah. I, been, I, I was it's like, been crazy. I mean, with the uptick in popularity archery, because everybody's staying home, yeah, and something yeah. to do. And then the, downtick in the supply chain makes it, I mean, it's a perfect it's storm. A, it's a, yeah. It's a well, gun yeah, enthusiast, storm, storm gun enthusiast sure. coming over to archery mm-hmm. is a big one yep. right now. Had a guy come in yesterday. I've getting, we're getting at least one or two guys a day. I love shooting my gun, but I can't get ammo. Yep. This guy came in yesterday. He's just a guy I was telling you about from, he's a service guy and he is a reloader. Yeah. He can't get reloading supplies. Oh, no, you can get, you can get everything minus primers. Yeah. That's what he said. And if you get them, makes it go bang. It's like having a bow without a string. (laughs) Exactly. Well, and it's crazy because even I think our string, Bridger makes strings for us a lot and our string business is up big time. Well, yeah, you can't get a bow. It's easy, you know, just put a new string on it and help, you know, bring it back to life a little bit. Refurbish your bow. We're seeing a lot of that right now because guys can't get bows. Some of them, you know, it's crazy. Absolutely crazy. The other thing is maybe the used bow uh, section is actually going to get Yeah, you know, you know what's weird is our used bow section got de- just decimated during Christmas, mm-hmm. of course. But uh, I mean, I've, it's went crazy. Like we've got a lot of good used bows on the shelf right now. Um, and it's weird because they're, they're not moving as much. We're seeing, I'm seeing at least more guys wanting to buy the new stuff. Than the than, old stuff. Than the old well, stuff, how we yeah. stopped taking bows in that were older than five years old. Yeah, exactly. And I hate to say it. We're so many guys coming in wanting to trade up. Yeah. I mean, you've got a wall full of those already. (laughs) Yeah. We're, we're loaded. And then, you know, the other thing is we're kind of, I mean, I hate to say it, but we're really low balling. I mean, if you're going to want to trade it in, not have to deal with it as far as the shipping and the ads and stuff like that, we're, we're going to try to make a premium on that, on that equipment because we just don't need it. Yeah. Honestly, that's what's crazy. Cause yeah, there's, I, so I had the other day Toyota dealership and they wanted to buy my truck so bad. It was unbelievable. Really? Dude, they are like, that's another well, thing. I, automobiles. Yeah. You can't one of our, right well, one of our customers, Lee, he owns a used car <laughs> yeah. lot down in San Antonio. And he said like, dude, if you, 
Like I'll give you damn near <laughs> sticker price for your, for your Use drug vehicle. with 200,000 yeah. miles. On. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, crazy. It's crazy. Well, I'm, I'm still in my truck. Dude, dude, your truck is worth a fortune. Yeah. Because your Toyota is nice. I mean, it's, it's only got 30,000 miles on it. Oh yeah. You might be able you to get more than what you paid for. It. Exactly. Anybody out there that's listening. <laughs> 2016 TRD. Exactly. Long, like new Longhorn orange. <laughs> and Longhorn orange. Yeah. So it's, yeah. Like I said, it's not just us. It's the, it's every industry out there right now. And, uh, we had a guy also, he's a boat manufacturer and, uh, they're delivering boats now that were ordered last June. They're delivering them now with to almost a year, year out. He said, you still, they still, they're like us. They can't get caught up. There's nothing they can do. It's unbelievable. How long so, do you think this is going to go on for? You know, it's funny you ask that. I have been kind of talking to a lot of manufacturers, a lot of manufacturers reps about this very subject because I'm trying to get as much information as I can to help us make really good buying decisions this fall mm-hmm. or this summer. Um, and everyone is kind of saying spring of next year, 2022 first end of first quarter, they think there's going to be a, a pause in the, in the supply chain or a pause in the, uh, ordering in the industry. Yeah. They think it's going to, you know, I don't know if that's true or not. And I don't know what they're using to, to understand that. Maybe it's, they think COVID is going to be gone. Well, and this stuff happens like in every industry at some point or another. So I'm sure they can look at, Look at trends. data and trends and everything yeah. and see where it's yeah. at. Cause I remember, God, what was it? I'm trying to think it was probably four or five years ago when I was working at Shields in Des Moines, like we were, I mean, bows were eight, 12, 16 weeks back. And you know, a year and a half later, it was all back to normal to where you'd order a bow and it'd show up four days later. Right. So. Huh. I don't remember that. Well, we weren't open then, I don't think. It would have been like right when, right, right when you opened. Right when you opened or right yeah. before you opened. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. So that's what's weird. We don't know. I think it's going to be a guess. Um, maybe they have some information on manufacturing, like with steel. Yeah. You know, metal, the metals market, I think, drives this whole thing. Metals and petroleum. And, um, you know, if you look at petroleum right now, it's saying, no, it's not going to recover. You know, metal is becoming harder and harder to get. Um, is being used more and more mm-hmm. by every industry out there. Yes. It's just going to be a, it's going to be weird because we're going to have to play a chess match to make sure we have inventory or don't get stuck with inventory <laughs> because that's one of the big things. Like do we, do we order stuff for the fall? And then get stuck with it. And get stuck with it. Because as you imagine if we order it now, we don't get it until November, December. And it, you know, it takes 60, 90 days to turn that inventory roughly on a, on a good year for Christmas time. Yeah. How much do you have in January when all the new stuff, 2022 stuff starts rolling out? And that's going to be the chess match. I think that is going to be the, and the guys who get it right are going to hit it, hit a home run. You know, during COVID, we, you know, everything shut down and I'll never forget. I was sitting there with Philip and heck, Bridger, we were talking about, you know, what do we do? Do we, and we decided to kind of put a pause on everything. Mm-hmm. I called a good friend of mine owns a shop in Corpus and, you know, what are you doing? I'm buying everything I got. And I, I looked at him and told him, I says, you're doing what? And he literally called Matthews and bought every bow that they had in the inventory. And Pretty he much. was smart. And he was smart because he sold I every single one of them. I remember him sending pictures of us. like <laughs> six pallets of bows. Oh, yeah. Pulled up on us in my trailer. Yeah. <laughs> store. Yeah. Thank God. He's, he's a gambler, though. Yeah, I mean, yeah. he's a wild man. And he gambled, but he gambled right yeah. because he hit it out of the park. 
Um, I know he had a monster year last year because of that. I guess so. it all depends on the area too. Yeah. I mean, you gotta, you gotta take that into consideration. It's true. Yeah, Who's it's around true. you? What's going on? Right. Yeah. There's no doubt about that. It's, I don't know. Yeah. I wonder how this the big stores are doing. You know, if, if, if you guys are having a hard time or the big stores oh, having the, the same, same thing it's with the, the smaller you know, manufacturers. So, you know, I just, I recently got back into fishing a little bit, bass fishing and, mm-hmm. and I went to Bass Pro. Mm-hmm. There's nothing on the shelf. Really? I mean, it's, they have stuff, but there's also empty peg hooks everywhere. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, they're moving a lot of product. Um, or just not restocking. Oh, yeah. yeah. It could be one of the two. I don't know where the industry sits, but mm-hmm. either, either way, way, there's, there's a lot of holes, yeah. you know, typically, you know, Bass Pro as big as they are, they've got everything. You know, and to see them out of certain things a lot is kind of weird. And of course, if they're like us, a lot of that industry is driven by China, you know, overseas manufacturing, hooks, sinkers, you name it. Mm-hmm. Like, I'll give you an example. It is unbelievable. They have a, a gondola and you imagine how big a sinker is or small. So the packaging's tiny. Tungsten sinkers, there's none. I'm talking none. And this is the most common, easiest thing in the world to carry inventory wise. Uh, normally they probably have about 4,000 oh, of them on hand at a time. At, at least. There's not one. And even when we go fishing now, you know, we'll stop at the local tackle store and stuff and there'll be none in that little tackle store because I think everybody's trying to find stuff everywhere they can. So yeah, we, they're trying to find parts and pieces everywhere, just like we are in this industry, at least in the fishing industry, it looks like, because just shocked at how much stuff is not available. I start melting there. my own aluminum and making my own sinkers and stuff. Dude. You know, it's funny you say that. I got a friend of ours that's going to start his own uh, fishing company, tackle supply, rods and reels, rods spe- specifically. Mm-hmm. And you don't know if that's a good idea or a bad idea because with the supply, I mean, it's got to be scary starting a business in an industry because you think you can do it better than what they're doing. Heck, I thought about it. Yeah. Um, but if I can't get stuff either, you know, what's what the materials point? are you going to use? Yeah. Hey man, let's just duct tape a bunch of arrows together. <laughs> Make a fishing rod. Yeah. I mean, you've got <laughs> plenty of broken arrows. Exactly. Might as well. Because, I mean, if you're, if you're going to try and make a fishing rod out of carbon, yeah. good luck getting carbon. That was, take, yeah. Take one of them 1100 uh, Intrepids in there. That'll work it. Good fast action. Tip. <laughs> That's right, dude. That would be. <laughs> take a couple of those uh, 2315s. Yeah. Put that on the back. Put it yeah. on your yeah. handle. That's hilarious. I'm going to go home and build one. Yeah. <laughs> You know, we'll, we'll switch gears a little bit because we're going to kind of talk about everything, but you know, let's go into hunting. Oof. So that's a whole another one that is like seeing unprecedented growth right now. It's kind of weird because you hear a lot of people on social media and I won't name names, but you know, hunting industry is getting killed. There's less hunters ever. There's, you know, no one's buying hunting and fishing license anymore. The states are hurting. No, they're not. I'm not seeing that. I, I know for a fact, elk wise, elk hunting tag allotments this year. The average state, Western Mountain State, went up by over 60% applications alone. For the first time in Montana, for example, I think that their rate typically is eight and a half out of 10 years. You're going to draw a general elk tag. Um, this year, I think it dropped to six, year, or six out of 10. I mean, that's the increase in tags because there were some guys that applied this year that didn't get it. And I was shocked. And more, I heard more guys didn't get it than I heard guys that got it. Really? And I've never heard that in Montana before. <laughs> And I heard uh, New Mexico was up over 60,000 applicants for their tag allotments this year. That's just unbelievable. We think we'd talked about it a little bit last year, but 
with guys not being able to travel internationally or travel to Canada or Mexico to do different hunts, not, not that that's a large majority of the industry, the hunting side of it, but there's a lot of guys that may or may not have had a trip planned to, you know, Canada or Alaska or something like that to go, you know, elk, mule deer, moose, bear, what have you. Now they're going to some of the Northern Western States to do the same thing. Right. Yeah. And it's causing this whole rift too between, you know, the out of state guys going to hunt the in-state with the in-state hunters, you know, and this is one thing that drives me crazy about our, our, our industry, if you want to call it, like I always tell everybody, don't talk about you're from Texas. As a matter of fact, I wish we could create a plate that did not t- tell us what state we're from. Cause on, this is a true story. Colorado, Montana, Wyoming, those mm-hmm. states, they hate Texans. <laughs> I'm telling you. <laughs> They hate them. Um, I have had more guys talk crap in those three states when they see you're from Texas. I don't even talk about it. I mean, with them, you know, you hope you don't run into anybody because, and I even know one uh, customer I was talking with the other day, he got his tire slashed. Really? Yeah. Just for being from Texas. Being from Texas. Because he had Texas plays. So a bunch he, of he, haters. Actually, he actually pulled in this summer to do some scouting in a unit in Southern Colorado, ran mm-hmm. into a hiker, a lady at that. The lady was giving him all kinds of crap go home, get the heck out of my state type thing. Um, in the parking lot, he takes off on his hike. He comes back and he's got two tires slashed. Like, you know, I'm doing the one, the math. Yeah. One plus one equals two. Maybe not her, probably her. (laughs) That's crazy. And and that's just a true story. I mean, this happened. He said, this is like a month ago. He was up there scouting. And to think that we are getting that way as, you know, but we shouldn't be surprised. Mm-hmm. Look at social media, look at everybody on the internet. I mean, look at what, at what we do as a country now, how stupid we are. Um, and that's what it's becoming. This is this meism, you know, get out of my state, get out of my area, get out of, you know, and it's just the state loves the revenue generation because we as, as uh, non-resident hunters probably bring in, I, I would guess what Bridger two thirds of the economy, the hunting economy is non-resident. Cause you, you well, see it in Iowa. I don't know about that. I know I, I can walk when I lived in Iowa, I could walk in and buy a tag for 23 and a half bucks, right. or 28 and a half dollars for statewide any sex. And then if you're non, a non-resident, you're paying $485. So my point being, if you have, and I think the non-resident is as big as the resident pool. Is it not? No, it's not close. Oh, it's not that big. Okay. Not, not, at least not in Iowa. I don't know. What I, I don't know about other States, but yeah. for Iowa, I mean, there we had I'm trying to think probably like, somewhere between 40 and 60,000 uh, archery hunters are registered archery or archery tags sold tags, right. to individual hunters. So, but I don't, I guess I don't know what the exact, but I bet if you take those numbers, the amount of state numbers times the, I mean, the percentage, the percentage is much math. higher. Yeah. Like you get a lot more per, per person right. with out of state. And I imagine it's that way with any state for any, any game animal, if you're out of state, right. You know, a non-resident's always going to pay more. Right. Which, I that's mean, normal. They yeah, that's they should. Pretty normal. Absolutely. Well, it drives a big part of that economy too, though. Mm-hmm. I mean, they have to be making as much money, maybe a little bit less than their resident hunters. If you look at the per capita ratio between, you know, revenue versus hunter, mm-hmm. it's the upside is definitely on the, uh, the non-resident oh, side. Oh, well, yeah. They're paying. Whoever writes a bigger check always seems to <laughs> get a little better treatment sometimes. But. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately. But do you know, you're from Iowa. I mean, did you guys, Iowa gets blasted with white tone hunters. I mean, it's one of the, I think the, the, the Mecca of Kings for sure. I mean, so do yeah, you guys, I mean, do you guys not really, cause it's, I mean, you gotta be a pretty dedicated guy to 
a wait four years, but b wait four years for a whitetail. Yeah. So unless you're obsessed with them, there were a lot of non, there weren't a ton of non-resident guys. Now, obviously there's a lot of non-residents that come in every year. Yeah. But for archery season anyways, most of the guys that do it are pretty hardcore whitetail guys. So I think like the last year I hunted there right down the road from my dad and I's lease, there was, it was an outfitter like right to the north of us. And he had like two out of state guys come in. Right. You know, a lot of guys question whether the outfitters are helping or hurting that. Um, Cause you know, they're making their money from the out of state guys, not the in state. I mean, for the most part, I think as long as they're not dragging tags away from residents to give it to non-residents and outfitter tags, I'm cool with it. Yeah. I know there was a couple laws going through the Iowa house that were not that exactly, but were along those lines that a lot of guys weren't a big fan of, but you know, Montana's doing it. They're going, I think this fall they're voting on and whether they're going to take the non-resident pool and pull 80% of them, give them to outfitters. Mm-hmm. So to, to be a non-resident hunter in the state of Montana, you got to go through an outfitter to do it. I mean, I'm fine with that because that helps out the outfitter and the economy keeps the, so, well, yeah, it helps the outfitter because he's getting money. State's still getting the same amount of money. Uh, but it's also keeping the non-residents from just the guys that don't know what the hell they're doing. Walking, 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 just place. Like, <laughs> just walking through the middle of an open Keeping field, everybody under control. everything out Dude, of there. We've seen it all. Yeah. So, yeah, that's true. I never thought about it that way. Because at first I was thinking, okay, that's not cool. Because, you know, I'm a, as an elk hunter and I know what I'm doing. I thought I don't need an outfitter, nor do I want one. But there's a lot more people that don't know what they're doing. I agree with that because I see them every year. Their guess, problem is they think they know what they're doing. Yeah. <laughs> Never really thought about it, but here we don't see it because the state is mainly private. It's true. It's yeah. so everybody so that comes to hunt here. in Texas is it's hunting at a big ranch. an outfitter. Yeah. Quote unquote. I yeah. mean, that's about the only way you can hunt here. Yeah. But yeah. Texas is one of the few states where you could walk into Bass Pro or Walmart or anything from any state, damn near any country and buy a hunting license. Buy a hunting license, yeah. go out and kill something. That's yeah. true. 24 7, 365. Yeah. So Texas is one of the few states like that, but we're also, we also have a different hunting economy because of all the exotics and the pigs and all the different types of animals we can right. go out and kill. Because we've been literally kill something. Much. Yeah. You can literally kill something every day of the year. Correct. Yeah. It's, it's free. It's a free for all in Texas for sure. I think the only controlled species are. White tails. It's white tail mule deer and turkeys. And turkeys. White tail mule deer, turkeys, and antelope. Antelope. Yeah. Antelope of yeah. a panhandle. Yep. That's crazy. I never thought about it that way. But yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Anyways, the, the hunting economy, though, as a whole, I don't see uh, anybody who talks about the, you know, hunting is going away, I think is just absolutely blowing smoke. Well, how, we I'm had not, people coming in at the beginning of the pandemic last year that were buying bows so that oh. they could put meat in their freezer. Cause like, I, I, yeah. Can't buy any meat in the store. Yeah. We had a little old lady. It was a funny it's story. A I, remember her. I, was just, I was just thinking yeah. about her. She was like, God, I had to be 70, 75 and brought an old brownie micromitis into the, into the store and literally in the pandemic and said, hey, you know, I want, uh, can, can, can I get this shooting you think, you know? And I'm like thinking, ma'am, why are you wanting to do this? You know? And she made a comment. She says, yeah, I got these spotted deer in my backyard. I heard they're really good to eat and, and I don't know how long meat's going to be available. So I want to start killing them. <laughs> Axis deer, of course. And I was dying. I was just like this. And she was legit serious. Yeah. And we seen a ton of that last year. Mm-hmm. Um, people, they were wanting to, to harvest their own meat because of the potential food shortages that were coming. Well, there was, COVID. I mean, for, for a while, well, especially here in San Antonio, 
Yeah, everybody ten dollars for a pound of ground beef. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Meanwhile, I was sitting at home eating my big old water buffalo steaks. Oh yeah, whatever. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's gonna. I think it's gonna keep growing, growing and growing and growing. The more the more this this goes on, the more people are gonna want it. Well, you're you're seeing this whole self sustaining um, um, mindset coming on board. That's why I like the potential gas shortage, people are going crazy to take care of their own with the gas. And they're wanting now to, Hey, I'm going to go out and kill my own stuff. So I don't have to rely on the government or food sources to, to, to feed my family. Mm -hmm. And I think it's going to drive all that. That's why that hunting economy, once again, I just don't see that going away. And guys giving that lip service really need to be shut down. I think there's more hunters out there now than ever. I mean, we're, I I know my buddy sent me a picture of a, of steam steamboat Springs, Colorado last year. And the, the normal parking lot that's got eight, 10 cars in it's got like literally 50 to a (laughs) hundred. I mean, he didn't, he just drove by it. He wasn't even going to screw with it. But I mean, that was just one area that historically does not have that amount of people hunting. I seen more last year in Southern Colorado than I've ever seen before. Mm. I mean, it was unbelievable. And so the hunting side of that, I think is getting big and, you know, a lot of that driving it to kind of switch gears a little bit is social media. I mean, there's, everybody's got a YouTube channel on hunting now. Yeah. I, I always get a kick out of it because, you know, we do a YouTube channel and, and, uh, with the podcast and how many different ways can you kill and talk about killing a white tailed deer or an elk or a mule deer? It's just, it's, uh, it's unprecedented and it drives me crazy because it's like, so, uh, I don't know what angle they're getting to get audience members and you know, the guys that are that are I guess that are information junkies are wanting to hear it and they want to hear it from as many different sources as possible. I just don't want to go play in that playground. I mean, it's out there. I guess the guys that are established are going to continue to do well, but all the new guys that are trying to come in and, and kind of break into the the whole scene. I think those are guys that are going to struggle with their, with their oh, new shows because what, what, what are you going to talk about that hasn't been yeah, talked about? Exactly. You know, there's one out there that I think is kind of, I'm not going to crack on them because I love the guys to death. They're backcountry rookie guys. They're awesome. Got a great podcast. I know the founder real well. It comes into the shop. But at what point are you not a rookie anymore? I've been doing it for four years and he's got some incredible guests on there and stuff. But I don't know how long they can drive that that format, you know, and even the, the, the hunting side. How many times? It's kind of like fishing even. I've been watching these fishing podcasts and I'm already over them because you're casting real. You throw a bait. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I remember when the umbrella rig came out and that was the latest and greatest new innovation of bass fishing. And um, that was something different, something good to talk about. But I mean, without that, I just don't know how these guys make it on social it, media, but they do. It doesn't really matter though. I mean, you haven't been struggling out there fishing. You're obviously having success. Yeah. So what, what are you going to learn from oh, 10 you, different shows? You, but you cannot believe the number of people, man, they, guzzle that kool-aid wow hey man you look at guys like john dudley and uh who else Cam, cameron haynes Cam haynes well guys that do a lot of the informational uh teaching stuff yeah. just for archery on the archery side of it yeah you know john dudley's probably written the same article about 40 different times about how to tie a d loop yeah right set a how to hold your release correctly for a, a t-handle or handheld release yeah. i mean it's true. I think that's just giving it bumps though. Honestly, yeah. you've got to, you've got to refresh the, old, the content. That's the old TTT yeah. <laughs> on the forum page. There. Exactly. To the top. <laughs> yeah. It just happens. You gotta, you gotta refresh it every once in a while, but at the same time, those, the people that are out there listening to all this stuff are, are the ones that 
you know, they'll, they'll watch one show, watch the other show, watch the other show. Mm-hmm. And they come into the shop and those are the ones that you love to work with. So, you know, it's funny. We were, I was having this conversation with a friend of mine, Brandon, and cause we were talking about business and he's going to maybe potentially start a business. And we were taught, giving him the ideas on how we were so successful so quick. And, you know, you're, you're probably going to hear it on this podcast and I'm sitting here right now thinking of something. Do I really want to go there? Do I want to talk about this? Because no, honestly, because it's about, I think it's about education. You know, mm-hmm. I, I will tell you the good, the bad, and the ugly about every manufacturer we carry. Most shops won't do that. They don't want mm-hmm. to take off the manufacturer. They don't want to, you know, maybe take off the customer. Heck, I've even heard of one couple of manufacturers that send out their, their scouts to come in and act like customers to hear what you say about their product. Um, and I never say anything bad. No, I take it back. I never say anything good and bad. I mean, I always say good and bad because there's good and bad with every manufacturer. We are just honest to a fault about the stuff that they, that they don't do well. Mm-hmm. You know, some of these bows don't do certain things very well or talk about the education of why this doesn't matter, even though it's been shoved down their throat for decades, you know, and, and we'll probably go through that, some of that later on in another podcast. But, you know, I was telling him, if you educate your customer and tell them what's really not good with, about the product, your own product even, and tell them what you what really, what is really good about it. I think that's how you retain customer loyalty. It's not, Every, every, everything is not kumbaya. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've never made a perfect product. Yeah, It's just, it's not reality. So it's what we do is at least on our side of it. And that's what's it's kind of funny because uh, I'm going to go ahead and go there. We're talking about social media, but I got a kick out of these guys. What are they called? And Bridger, you'll probably think this is funny. Um, Whitetail fit that the guys. Oh yeah. And these guys on whitetail fit, they are jacked. They're huge. You know, and I just thought, that's, it's kind of like the oxymoron for me, you know, you really don't need that. You better have one heck of a good butt, you know, to sit and stand all day. You definitely don't need it here. Yeah. Bridger ain't got no butt. I don't you know how he does it. Definitely don't need that here in Texas. No, no. Uh, you, your whitetails sit here as you need a twice a day to sit all day in Texas. Well, no, you, you just go and sit twice a day. Once well, in the no. morning, once in the evening. And, just and, go and the, no, just a half no. hour before your feeder goes off. Exactly. It doesn't matter what time it is. Exactly. You just wait. Once you hear, <laughs> then you can go out and see the tree stand. <laughs> no, that's true. Because you know how it is. Typically we're out at what, two in the afternoon for an evening sit. Mm-hmm. And we sit till 12. We might go back in to eat lunch and, it's weird because here, yeah, 30 minutes. Before, what time does the feeder go off? You know, late? 4.30. The feeder goes off 4.30. All right. Okay, let's we'll get there at like four. Four, four o'clock. Yeah. Start walking in yeah. about four. You can, I will never forget, I killed, gutted, and put in my deer in my truck in 45 minutes. Literally. That is insane. That my first time ever. And I just thought this is unbelievable. Oh, okay. I thought you were talking about your recent deer. No, 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 no. No, but 45 minutes, that seriously. That deer's still in the pool. Yeah, he is. <laughs> <laughs> Not anymore. Did you notice? It was gone. Did you throw that cooler away? Oh, yeah, we threw it away. It's pretty bad. Anybody, been, anybody wondering, uh, a, that would a have been cooler from HEB will not keep a deer fresh for no. uh, six, six months. Six months. Yeah. No. <laughs> that would have been perfect coyote bait. Dude, if I you got might have near called it, it Bigfoot with I that. immediately gagged. Like gag reflex yeah, it was right bad. now. I mean, it was the worst smell of death ever. Could have done a show on how to clean a cooler. Yeah, did not, I didn't think that was possible. I'm pretty sure you grew like next year's COVID in there. Yeah. Oh yeah. There was definitely some science experiments going on for sure. But yeah, I mean, 
But you know, on the, the other side of social media though, now the fit guys that are out there, what is the, the train to hunts guys, yeah, um, wilderness athlete, the, the mountain ops guys and stuff like that. Those, um, you know, those guys are pretty legit because they're hunting pretty hard. They're the way they hunt. Western mountain hunting is not for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll tell you from experience, you better be in pretty decent, good shape or not so much good shape. You better have a very strong constitution. You, you know, I've taken some couple of guys who aren't in the greatest of shape, but they're some of the toughest mentally. So they work through it, you know, but if you don't have one of those, yeah, that's mountain hunting. So I'll give them some mad props. Some of those guys, the way they're working out, what they're doing to get better and ready for the mountain is, is warranted. I think an educational, I think something that everybody that has aspirations to get out there in the mountain West and hunt and hunt it the right way. Watching those guys on social media is a good thing for sure. People have plenty of time right now to go get in shape. They don't have a bow to shoot. (laughs) (laughs) I'm telling you. And then let's switch over real quick. What about target archery? So we're going to kind of go around the horn here and target archery is, Bridger, would you say you've been, what, to five big events now in the last two months? I mean, it, I don't know. I, to me, it seems like it's getting popular, more popular, but it also could be because, you know, going to the ASAs last year, they're really the only game in town, right. which helped boost their popularity. But I think they had, they had a record attendance in Paris a few weeks ago. Yeah. I think it was 600 over. Right around oh. 1700 people. Yeah. And normally they have barely 11. 11. Yeah. So it's crazy. Reading filled up and I mean, granted Reading only had two or only had half of their normal, uh, Field allotment. Allotment there. They opened up like 40 spots like the week prior, but that filled up in less than two hours. I was going to say two hours and it was over. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it filled up super quick, which by the way, Reading with only half the amount of people there, like normally you finish at like four <laughs> o'clock in the yeah, afternoon exactly. and shoot for seven hours. Yeah. On the second day, we finished at 12.15. Well, it's funny. <laughs> it's so, incredible. so Bridger's girlfriend, Courtney, went to her first Reading event with him. And was talking about raving about how awesome the shoot is. And I'm like, go on a normal year. Yeah. They wait till you wait 45, <laughs> 45 minutes, minutes for a target. target. I told her, I says, there's actually food trucks in between some of the targets because the waits are so long. And it, of course she didn't experience any of that. So it had to be amazing to yeah, go. It was, for sure. pretty, it, was, yeah. it was pretty nice being able to shoot in three and a half hours on the first day That's or second that is, day. That is mind boggling. Yeah. Cause normally it's your normally half like, done. A quick day we would finish at, uh, a quick day we'd finish at about three o'clock. Three o'clock, yeah. Three, three thirty. That's crazy. And then, so Vegas also was a paired downfield because only championship. It was only championship. That one was odd too. I mean, it, 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 the casino was every bit as busy. Like, I mean, it basically opened like nothing was going on, but, uh, it wasn't all archery people there. Normally you're waiting in that little hallway in South Point for 45 minutes to get on the damn elevator. Right. Just walk right up and it was fine. Gotcha. So, but it was just, it was everybody as busy as it was before, just with just you know, 500 people. people shooting a bow there instead of 3,000. Exactly. You know, it wasn't everybody archery there. Right. How many of those people had new bows? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> very, very few. Well, very a lot of few. us were getting our bows in like September. So yeah. True. Yeah, we all had, yeah. Yeah. It depends on your definition. They're, they're the test monkeys, you yeah. know, that get to get the chance to sell it all throughout the year. For sure. I think I got my target bow in August last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was good. And then I ordered two in December and didn't get them till. Heck. 
March, April, April, April. Yeah. Yeah. And then Bridger, you shoot for elite. So you got yours fairly quickly. Heck, you just got one in. You ordered I my 36 and then well, I got my second one. That one took probably, I mean, it was three or four weeks or four weeks. Still, that's, un, that's unbelievable mm-hmm. yeah. for a target bow in, this, in today's market. It's funny. We were just talking like Hoyt removed half their colors in their target bows. <laughs> trying to, trying to decrease the amount of choices we can get. And I'm lucky. I their manufacturing. I was able to get those white ones when yeah, I, when I did. Exactly. Exactly. Another gold mine. Yeah, quantity right there. Just going to throw it out there. So yeah, the, um, but no target archery, I think is growing. Uh, you know, one of the issues that I have with it right now, not to be Debbie Downer, is just a stagnation of the sport as far as what's available. You know, we go to the same venues every year. Like, you know, I think the NFAA just announced they're going back to Louisville for the next two or three years, whatever mm-hmm. it is. I, I think they would be well served to change venues every other year, at least because to give people a different look, a different place to go. You Come know. to San Antonio. Yeah. Well, but the Masters is in Augusta every year. They just Valero have a really Open good course. Is in San Antonio every year. Oh, maybe you're right. I mean, <laughs> Quail Hollow is at Quail Hollow. Settle every down, year. Jiminy Cricket. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> That's true, but I don't know. Yeah, I see your point. So, I mean, they move the Super Bowl around, but it's different different teams every year. Well, yeah, well, that's true. Usually different teams every year. Yeah. Tom Brady's always there. Yeah. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, at least they've got that Yankton tournament going on in July again. That uh, yeah. that big national Yankton. roundup. Great. Dude, don't get me started. Every time I hear Yankton, <laughs> it just, hold on. Every time I hear Yankton, it reminds me of Wayne's World when he's like, Delaware. Welcome to Delaware. <laughs> Delaware. Yeah, it's about as exciting as Delaware yeah. there. Hope yeah. you like you know, pe- hope you like Pizza <clears throat> Ranch. Somebody <laughs> somebody at one point in time had made a comment that they thought Yankton should be the the bedrock or the home field of archery. You know, kind of like Canton is for the uh the NFL Hall of Fame and you know, we needed something like that in archery and they wanted to make it Yankton. And I got into a Actually, a heated debate, heated debate over over the Internet with two of the bigger guys in the sport about because it, it's 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 nuts. If you do not shoot archery, you have no clue where Yankton, South Dakota is. And even yeah. if you shoot archery, I would guess to say there's 75 percent of you don't know where Yankton, South Dakota is. And they actually, you know, somebody, and I'm not going to name names because I don't want to call people out, but I, one is one of the individuals, pretty smart guy. Well, we have over 2 million visitors to Yankton a year and you don't understand our economy. 2,000 million. Two, I'm like, 2 yeah, million Dallas people drive has through said, Yankton. Yeah. Well, and I said, yeah, Dallas has 2 million people a day to go there to visit, not a year. I mean, and I always said that this is where we miss it in our sport. We go to these archaic weird places because they're tied to the, to an individual that started the organization and we're not using straight up marketing demographic studies to increase the viability of the sport. Yeah. It's I crazy. Mean, I won't dog them too much. The, the facility there is great. Oh, it's amazing. The, the facility is awesome for what they have like yeah. geographic or uh, uh, topography wise and stuff for their field courses. The NFA's field courses are great. Yeah. Um, everything's cut well. I mean, that facility is gigantic. They have two, I don't I'm trying to think how many lanes they have. They probably have like 60,000. They have like 60 
70 yard plus ranges yeah. or lanes. I mean, yeah. And then the bigger range you can, or bo- actually both of them, you can shoot sideways and they can have, you know, 600 people at a time shooting right. 20 yards. But there in the issue. middle of nowhere. Well, and therein lies the issue. It's you can't, middle of nowhere, you can't house that many people. You can't fly in there economically. Well, at all. I mean, it's yeah. I mean, it's a small market airport, which means it's a thousand dollars to fly in there on average. I mean, so where do you know the closest? The closest airport or the closest like larger airport that has bigger uh, airlines and stuff flying into is Sioux Falls. It's an hour away. Yeah. After that, then you're going to either Sioux City or Omaha. Omaha. Sioux City is about Sioux City is a little over an hour. Right. Uh, Omaha is two two and a half hours. But all three of those airports are the small market airports. It's got to be. They're a not. Yeah. To fly in. The biggest airport is Omaha and it's still yeah. not that big of an airport. No, no. And then you're talking about some insane money to get there. And then once again, well, how many hotels here, sir, in Yankton? Uh, if you include all the mom and pop ones, there's probably like, I don't know, six or seven. Yeah. And that's not housing. And I think they're holding worlds there next year again. No, in September. Is it September? Yep. So we were going to do that, I think four or five years ago, they held it. And, you know, you're just thinking worlds. And I didn't know any better at the time. I thought, well, I'll just register, you know, a couple Indoor of months worlds. before. Yeah. yeah. Well, I went to go register. We registered and everything was good. Well, then I said, okay, I got to find a place to stay. Nope. Yeah. Forget it. <laughs> I mean, it was well, a two, two they, and a half hour drive for, to get into a hotel that I could go. When, when we, or when they had uh, youth worlds there, probably four, four or five, five years, years ago, ago yeah. they, they were busing kids over from the east side of Vermilion, which is 30 minutes. Yeah. See, that's just, that's crazy. We were looking at maybe staying in one of the cabins on the lake, which are really expensive. Number one, crazy expensive. And and for what they are, what you're getting is a public bathroom at that point in time. And it was, uh, I was just blown away. And that's when I got my first foray into Yankton. I thought this can't happen. This is not a good location to host an event that big, as beautiful as a facility is and probably as amazing as it is. They need to take that and put that into a large market area that can accommodate, you know, the travelers, people. Yeah. Just being able to, the biggest issue there is, is getting there and and lodging and lodging. Yeah. Other than that, the facility is amazing. Mm-hmm. The way that you guys, you know, the way they host your shoot and stuff. And then it's tough. And yeah, ASA is in the same boat. ASA is in the same boat. Paris. How bad was Paris this year? Dude. Well, okay. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's a couple of debacles with it. So A, if you didn't book your hotel ahead of time, you're, you're, you're SOL. Yeah. I know Cassidy and Lindsay had to stay almost an hour away. Right. And then, uh, oh, what am I thinking of? Oh, the, the Bayma in there. Oh my God. Oh man. So I, I pictures booked, from that. I booked four rooms there. Oh yeah. All four and years I put over Pete there. Crawford from Stan Lasky releases in it and he sent me pictures. Oh my God. Dude, it was, I mean, it was a crack hotel. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it was, it was horrible. Absolutely horrible. That um, one, yeah. I'm glad that we, I ended up not booking a room there. Yeah. And, I, and well, yeah, we were all freaked out because we thought maybe we were going to get billed for the rooms because nobody stayed. But I got pictures to send to whoever wants to talk about that because it was gross. And it was weird because it must have been COVID, you know, just shut the whole town down to the point they had no operating capital to fix anything. And I don't know if people are saying living in it. Courtney had said she stayed there a few years ago oh, and it wasn't that bad. I, I stayed there numerous times and it's never, it's actually, you know, it's a Baymont at Wyndham. It's not a bad named hotel. And, you know, you would expect that from a Super 8 maybe. <laughs> I've... I've me and my dad have found out with all the traveling we did mm-hmm. when I was a little kid going to archery tournaments and going fishing and stuff that if it, if a hotel has a number in it, the lower the number, the worse the hotel is. <laughs> I remember staying at one for 
IBO, one of the IBO triple crowns in Bedford, Indiana yeah. called the Mark three. And I like my dad literally had to walk out of the office because it smelled so bad You're kidding <laughs> when me. we were checking in. Oh my God. Cause another buddy of ours we were staying with had got the room. That's so gross. And my dad literally walked out of the office and waited outside because it smelled yeah. so bad. And then when we walk, literally opened the door to the room, <laughs> went, Oh my God, closed the door, drove straight to Walmart, bought all new bedding, yeah. towels, and well, like four bottles of Febreze and emptied oh. them. Well, so the whole reason for this topic was, uh, you know, the ASA going to these small market venues like Paris, Texas to host an event that is growing, outgrowing the host city, mm-hmm. you know, and I think even on the course, you know, this is where it gets really bad. So I think one of the greatest things ASA has done in the last five years is allow a Friday option shoot time mm-hmm. to take the burden off that Sunday, which allows everybody to get on the road early if they want to gives ASA a heck of a lot more time to get things tore down and get back home themselves. Yeah. Um, and then that got washed out on Friday because of weather. So then mm-hmm. it, it front loaded all that stuff back into Sunday. And I heard the courses were unbelievably ridiculous as far as the number I of mean, shooters and the, some people shooting in the dark almost. I'm, I'll still be an advocate against the seven thirty shoot time forever for the pros on the morning time. Yeah. I you can't see can't dude. If you are shooting East, if you start on the East facing side You're of the screwed. course, yeah, like it, it, it's damn near impossible to see because the right. sun's right in your eyeballs. Yeah. And by the time you put an umbrella, if you get an umbrella up, which that'll, that's a whole nother host problems. Apparently everybody hates is people shooting with umbrellas. Oh yeah. But the purist you, you can't, you, the umbrella, like you, you're literally looking at the sun. Mm-hmm like behind the target. Oh yeah. And you can't get an umbrella well, on it. And, and then you make a turn and come back the other way and it's behind you and the glare is absolutely horrible. But I'd get, much rather be behind me because well, yeah, your targets target. are lined up. Yeah. Your targets are lit up for sure. <laughs> I can stand with a, I can stand with a hat and go behind Exactly. Me. No, and that's so true. And it, you know, but those are the little things that I think, you know, it's logistically got to the point for ASA that they're just trying to maintain the load, you know, trying to logistically handle the load of people mm-hmm. and not think about those little things that, you know, make the difference between competing and not competing at a, at a high level. Yeah. Yeah. For example, you guys, there's no reason on this planet that you guys should be out there at 7:30 AM. I mean, you're professionals. Let's let you guys sleep in, get your good night's rest, get on the course at a decent hour, like 11 o'clock, get the sun up overhead, mm-hmm. you know, so we don't have to deal with umbrellas for the most part. And, that's one variable you can remove right away. But then you got the guys starting courses. I heard at four 30 in the evening, they, shooting they into seven 30. I mean, it's getting they did this year, pretty yeah. twilight. I had well, in Paris. They did that, had to do that because they, the rain, the weather. Well, some of it was the weather. Some of it was the influx of competitors that they didn't really know they were going to have. They right. knew they were going to have a, a larger turnout than normal. Right. But they, they didn't have enough courses for so, how many people they ended up having. Yeah, right. So I know they seem to have alleviated that problem for the, I think the next two London, or three for London. For London. Yeah. I know they alleviated a little bit. I know they put a big post out about it. Well, talking about it, but. So ASA is seeing this growth because I know there's a whole group of people that we haven't seen in years that are coming over from Jason, your side of the fence from USA. Yeah. Um, because USA, yeah, with their pared down fields and the Gator Cup and, and the Arizona Cup, what are they running? a third of the field they normally have? Well, Gator, they were able to run a little bit more because Florida's open. Okay. Florida. Um, but SoCal with California's restrictions, Arizona with their restrictions. And then last year, the season got pushed close to the fall. Yeah. So there was nothing to do. They started shooting ASA. I think just like me, they, they got converted and they were like, right. hey, you know what, we're going to do this. So they started doing 3D this year. Right. Um, so yeah, yeah there's, a lot of, there's a lot of uh, 
going back and forth between doing 3D outdoor. Yeah, there's a lot of people shooting that. And then, you know, there's been a lot of talk about, you know, if you win a championship, you're truly winning it because some of the guys are not there. You know, that your typical competition. Like how many people realize you went to Guatemala for Worlds? Oh, um, for the World Cup? I yeah, mean, for the, World Cup. all the big guys were there. Where'd they go? Yeah, okay. yeah I mean, like, they had a standard field, but they had all the, uh, all the, the protocols in place. Gotcha. They just put yeah. a bag over your head when you're traveling from, <laughs> Pretty the, much. from the, <laughs> from the hotel to the shoot. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. They put you, they put you in a bubble boy suit. That's hilarious. Yeah. No so I'm, I'm over here looking down everybody that's might be watching the show. Uh, trying to get our, our guest our in, guests in, line. in yeah, order. And I think he's, he's about ready. He's almost ready. Good. good. Yeah. Well, let's, um, we'll wrap up this side of it. I mean, I really kind of wanted to go through that whole archery experience and kind of what's going on in our industry from, from, from the hunting side to the, uh, to the target archery, to the manufacturers, you know, hopefully the shops are going to make it out there this year and, um, kind of this overall state of the union. I know our industry as a whole is I think up, um, don't know if it's going to be sustainable, you know, to where it is today. But um, I think that the organizations, the manufacturers and the retailers are going to have to take a hard look at where they're at today. And, and I think they have to change things. I mean, it's one of the big deals. I think they're going to have to make some changes to, to accommodate their customers to be, stay relevant. Um, you know, Bridget, you got a good point. Yeah. The masters is the same place every year, but gosh, sometimes I hate going to, Paris and Foley and Metropolis and yeah. it's the same courses. It really know. is. I mean, and well, yeah, there's no parody, you know, and, and to your point, yeah, golf has not changed at all in what 40 years, 50 years mm -hmm. as a sport. Um, and I think that's a lot to do with maybe the challenge of golf and how hard it is. I mean, it's hard enough just to swing a club. I suck. <laughs> you're, there's you're a lot of people that suck at archery. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair. <laughs> this is true. This is true. Um, but yeah, anyways, I, I don't know. Like I've always said, if I had the money, gosh, God willing, I would love to start our own circuit. Cause like OPA is a, is a good one, a good mm -hmm. example of how I think they're going to be the new up and comer. And you know, a lot of people talk about tax. One thing we, I wanted to touch base on real quick, total archery challenge. You know, we just got done working that event here in San Antonio. What was it? Two weeks ago. Yeah. 1700 archers. I think it was. Mm -hmm. Um, all with a common goal. There was more camo at that event than I've seen in my entire life. <laughs> um, and it's becoming its own genre. So it is. You, you've got target archers, 3D hunters, archers, 3D archers, Fita U-Set archers, and now you've got TAC archers. Yeah. And they have their own way of doing things. <laughs> and it's awesome because I had a manufacturer's um, national account manager there mm -hmm. um, from Elite, Paul Gio. And Paul looked right at me and Blake and said, this is the future. Yeah. I mean, he's seen that, that event with the vendors there and everything and said, this is where it's at right now. Well, I mean, you brought up OPA. That's essentially what they do. So that Bowfest that uh, they hold that, hold the OPA in conjunction with is, I mean, it's a, well, I mean, it's very similar to attack. It's, yeah. it's a fun shoot for most people. Right. Uh, and they have a bunch of different courses. They have like a all African game course. They have an all North American big game course. Um, but it's very, it's set up almost exactly like, and then they, they mix in ones and then they have us, the pros yeah. shooting the competitive stuff on the side right. on a totally separate course. That's awesome. As kind of a, a spectator event essentially yeah. on Saturday evening. And if, for those of you real quick that don't know, the OPA is a marked 3d course. So it's a 3d tournament with an orange 12 ring and a pink 14 ring. Mm -hmm. Correct. 
and you've got to call your shots. Yeah. So you, you just have to call a 14. Okay. Gotcha. So, but yeah, but that, so it's a unique tournament format in that regard. It's also, what's your max yardage? A hundred? Uh, yeah. hundred yards. So you're getting, you're going to get out there and shoot your bow and shoot it long. So it's, it's a different format. I, I think it's going to be, you know, if I had to build one, I'd build one very similar to it. Um, what's kind of cool too. You guys, what shot 20 targets in two hours? Maybe. Yeah. Shoot five, ta- five targets at a time. Yeah, five crazy. targets at a, at a, at a, at a, shoot a, hub. shoot a 20 target 3d course in about an hour and a half. Hour two and hour. Hour. Yeah, that's <laughs> pretty nothing wrong with that. That's for that sure. Was fast. So is this guy ready to go? Yeah. All right. Well, folks, we're going to go ahead and uh, sign on with the, our first guest for, for the year and our comeback show. And it is none other than see if this loads before we make an announcement. We're waiting. So you should have did this before bonehead. <laughs> oh no. The screen just went dark. Oh, let's get back up. At least it's Jason working on the computer instead. No kidding. I am totally technologically. Scott, Scott can't even figure out how to change the background on his, <laughs> on his laptop. I think I saw him earlier coming out here with a chisel, a piece of stone. Yeah. He's just going to draw on it. Exactly. Uh-oh. Here he is. It's working. Exactly. We got him on. It's working. Oh, there we there go. Is. Is on? Are we recording? We are we recording. We are recording. <laughs> So I ruined we, everybody's podcast by saying that right away. There you go. So folks, just to let you know, we've got uh, the man, the myth, the legend himself. We are excited to have a Mr. George Riles. George, welcome. Yeah. Thank you very much. So George, it's telling me here that I need to ask you for permission to record this. Uh, you have my permission. <laughs> <laughs> it was only that easy. Right. Jason. Let's see. Um, I see. I uh, let's see here. More chat. Make co-host. There we go. Let's see. Crap. I can't so see. George this. is my agent. He knows how to do this stuff. This is scary. There we go. Got it. How about now? Uh, got it. Wow. Awesome. We're Look on. At I'm going to push this back so you can see back. the guys. Look at us go. So you see, you see the, the monster right there. Yep, up, I see him in the edge. That's Bridger. There's Scott. another. Is that Here's Bridger? Scott. Lean in here again, Bridger. I ain't even. Yeah. Now I see Bridger. Yeah. Okay. He's the ugly guy. I'm off on the I, edge. Didn't, I didn't see that as him, you know, when he first leaned in there. Well, I'm going to roll over all these extension cords and we're going to go to black here in a second. Yeah. So give me a moment. <laughs> That's right. better. So we're in a new we're in a new showroom today. Yeah, we had a new go. showroom. Go yeah. rent a place, Kyle. So, so welcome I to the show. You, I see your rig. Your rig looks really cool. Thank you. I got one of those too. You got any sweet music and anything set up on that yet? <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. He's even got sound effects. Oh nice. Like, what, what do you do when somebody asks for a white bow? There we go. Yeah. <laughs> oh lord. Uh, yeah. We were, we're sitting here ranting for a little while talking yeah. about, you know, the, the state of the, the archery union, how yeah. things are it's crazy taking forever to and get it's here. It's in a fit state at the moment. <laughs> you know, it's funny you say that, George. I was going to ask you maybe just to jump right in. I've been asking a lot of manufacturers, the reps and, and stuff, because how we're going to buy in the coming six months, you know. Do you think this is sustainable or do you think everyone is talking about a first quarter of next year pause? It's going to slow down. Well, you know, it's hard to say. Um, 
I, I, I have very little money here in my little shop here. So I buy a little bit different. The rep comes in and he has this big placing order and we're going to take all of your money in October <laughs> and you're not going to sell it until next October. And I go, I don't have that kind of money. So tell yeah. you what, I'll just order as I need to order, right. you know, and, um, I will uh, nickel and dime and kick the can down the road as far as I can. Cause COVID was pretty tough on us because our real income is recreational archery and that pretty much put an end to it, you know? Mm -hmm. And, uh, I was easily paying myself and paying the bills and, and, uh, kind of keeping it rolling with just classes and lessons and seminars and, you know, all of that. and was doing great 2019 best year ever. And then COVID came and it went to dead flat zero and just like instant second, no chance to, no chance to prepare or get ready or anything. So, uh, <clears throat> so I, I really dislike how pro shops have to order equipment because they hold cash oh, yeah. for six, eight months and on the uh, promise that it will sell. And sometimes the manufacturers do a really good job of advertising and pushing customers into your door. And sometimes they don't. Absolutely. You know, so it was, I always lost money, you know, on the big buy you know, beforehand. So these last couple of years, I've only had enough. It's like, look, I'm going to get one, you know, like uh, Hoyt does this preview pack, Correct. you know, yeah. like one of every bow. So just send me one of those because invariably a guy comes into my store and he goes, this is great, but I want it in black. And if I have it in black, he goes, yeah, but I want it in Kuyu camo. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? mm -hmm. So I end up being like a showroom for sales and then I order, well, this year, that model has really, uh, you know, caught me around the neck because oh, yeah. now it's 12, 18 week lead time. Right. And by the time these guys, if you, if they buy a bow today, they're not going to get it before the new bows come out. Correct. Right. They're yeah. going to cancel yeah. the order because they want the new whiz bang, whatever yeah. comes out. And then I'm screwed. Yeah. We, we got lucky. We are one of the larger Hoyt dealers in Texas. We actually ordered 70 bows out of jump street in November, just took a leap of faith. And, and um, do you still we, have them? We, oh, we sold have some, yeah, we sold <laughs> well, almost every one of them. Yeah. Literally. Well, Cause y'all are like, y'all are like selling them through. I know there's shops out there that'll sell a hundred bows in a week, but that's not me. Yeah. That's definitely yeah. not me. No, it's, it's definitely unprecedented times when it comes to that. And we're trying to play that game now of, do we order this summer? Because typically we won't get them maybe until December if everything stays the right. same and we can't afford that with a new bow rollout. And yeah, it's just, it's going to be a game of, uh, of, uh, guessing this, this spring, this fall, I mean, and whether we could hit it right or not. You know, I mean, looking at all the bow companies, Matthews, you know, you know, Matthews is new. They're only 30 years old now. Mm -hmm. Uh, wait, they've been in it for like what? A hundred, right? <laughs> And I know the nine month product cycle is really tough and, you know, it's hard to get your hands around it, but I would think that as narrow as the product lines are mm -hmm. in many bow camps, especially, well, all of them are pretty much, 
here are the eight components to what makes up our product. Mm -hmm. And then here are the 27 different variations that you can come about with these eight different components. Right. Kind of like Taco Bell, you know, they got five ingredients and 67 different, in a different order. <laughs> right. You stack it in a different order and it's new. So I would think that they could pull you know, say an apple and look at this brand new whiz bang product. It's magical and it's wonderful and you can order it starting Friday. Right. <laughs> and they ship because if you've been in business for a hundred years, you know how many pink bows that you're going to sell. If that's yep. the new color. I, I have said it for, I came out of the supply chain world in the aerospace market and there we go. And as an engineer, I always got, it blew my mind when I get into archery as a retailer about how poor the supply chain management is in the industry. It's, yeah. I would literally fire every single one in every manufacturer. They all need a new job because they're, Preach. to your point, it's a hundred years. I was talking to one site manufacturer the other day. They haven't changed their site in literally 10, in 10 years, in 10 years. <laughs> and I said, you should have a plethora of inventory sit on your shelf. If you have no, you know, you're not going to make any changes. You're going to stay with your product line where it is. You should have a multitude of inventory. Instead, it's 22 weeks right now. It's unbelievable. Yeah. 22 weeks. It's, I mean, they call it just in time manufacturing, oh, but it's just a half a year yeah, late. Just a, <laughs> exactly. Just, yeah, it's just in time for them, for them to get their I mean, buck. It, and then it's hard. They don't realize, I mean, that company literally could be I could, I could literally go in and sign a cost savings guarantee tomorrow with that company if they let me take over just the operational control of forecasting and manufacturing and grow them three times as big as they are today. At the you are hired. I do it in tomorrow. It's because it's simple. Yeah. It's math. It's simple math. And All right. Uh, all of you industry leaders out there that you can see this, yeah, my man right there. Uh, I tell and you. I want to be able to order a bow and tell the customer it'll be here next week. Absolutely. Well, and I think, you know, we talked about Hoyt a lot because they're one of the hottest bows in the market today. I mean, they are unprecedented in my opinion, at least in our industry, our, our area. And, uh, you know, releasing in January in a COVID year, I think was a mistake. I mean, I think they're reaping, they're sowing what they, what they reaped at that point in time. And they're, it's, you know, you look at elite elite, one of our better sellers, believe it or not. And they back in what November released October, November, October, and they're sitting October. so pretty right now, six weeks to get a bow. That's like right. one of the best in the industry. That's still terrible. Not good. No, yeah, six weeks no. is still terrible. Uh, Let's I agree. be real here. Yeah. <laughs> Let's be real here. Yeah. You know, yeah. It, it, 14 days, including shipping. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. That yeah. should be the industry norm. And then if it's, if it's four weeks, it should be like, Oh my God, I am so sorry. But purple was way more popular than we anticipated. Right, right. It's going to be five more days than what we normally take to get it to you. Preach. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Preach. You're so right. Here's a free hat and a couple of shirts, you know, just to assuage, you know, your, yeah. your pain of having to wait on this bow. Absolutely. That's That'd be great. Yeah. You're, you're, you hit, you hit the nail on the head. That's for darn sure. Yeah. It's, it's driving me nuts. Well, and it's like you said, so what do you, what do you think? Do you think it's going to slow down? Do you think it's going to sustain itself? Well, um, currently right now I have a raft of cancellations because we have a gas shortage. So is, that, <laughs> is that affecting you guys? Yeah, huge. I mean, like literally Atlanta last night was out of gas. 
Atlanta, and the I'm, city, was out of gas. Atlanta, the metro area, 8 million people are That's out of gas. Unbelievable. And uh, I, I found a gas station that was just right down the road from my house. And I pulled in and I thought, they don't have bags over these pumps over here. So I went and I realized that in Atlanta, people don't realize that ethanol free gas is okay to put in their car. (laughs) (laughs) So I called my wife and we actually got our cars filled up because I was having to cheers. Like my kids are on the other side of town. They're, you know, uh, 50 minutes away. And it's like, God, I gotta go over there and get them and pick them up and drive them home and hook up the boat, maybe go fishing or something. Yeah. You know, I don't know if I got enough gas to do that. And I don't know when we're going to get more. Right. You know, luckily it came on last night. So, you know, maybe another week it'll be back to normal. But when it comes to something like people are still out of work, I mean, we're still at what, six, six, eight percent. Yeah. I heard. Yep. In between six and eight. Yeah. Uh, And um, uh, one thing that is helping is that people are working from home. You know, they're not commuting as much and it's pretty easy to stand up and walk out in the backyard and shoot your bow when you're in between calls, you know, and we've seen an increase in, you know, archery purchases and people buying a new bow or whatever, because they're staying close to home and they're working from home and they're actually able to come. The hours that we see busyness in the shop has changed. Yeah, It's in the middle of the day now, instead of the last two hours that we're open. Mm -hmm. Right. We're we're almost the same exact way. Yeah. yeah. And what, what we've seen a big increase in, and you've probably seen the same thing, at least in Texas, there is a, a whole new wave of children now because of the COVID crisis homeschooling. Right. And because they're homeschooling, they've only got about three hours of homework, schoolwork a day. And that's what, you know, I get these moms that come in and they're always asking that question. What did my kid do for eight hours a day in class? Because they're done in three hours. Yeah, it's jail. And, yeah, exactly. <laughs> They're sitting around waiting on the next thing to happen. Yeah. And, and it's awesome, though, because now the parents are like, hey, you know, the traditional baseball, basketball, football, sports are somewhat antiquated now because there, some of the kids aren't in classroom mm-hmm. and they are looking to archery, you know, as, a, as an out of school activity to take up some time that they, t- you know, normally are in school. And we're seeing an influx of them in, in, in our shop in the afternoons, to your point. Right. And being able to gather, you know, speaking from an archery coach that likes to build teams of, you know, Mm -hmm. juniors, Mm -hmm. those homeschool kids, they're solid gold. Oh yeah. Because they've got a work ethic to get it done by themselves. You know, that's one thing that's for sure. You don't have to beg them to practice. They're available, you know, at off hours for practice and whatever in the middle of the day when the shop's not busy. So they have a different level of access to coaching and range time and, you know, all that stuff. And those kids kind of become the range rats that are just sort of hanging around in here and being able to, uh, glancingly coach them all day long. Don't forget about that thing. You know, don't forget about your feet, fix your feet, you know, don't forget about, you know, and the next thing, you know, these kids have advanced like massively. Yeah. And the kids that are in regular public school, they get to go to archery one day a week. And then they have all this homework that they have to do afterwards. I don't get access to them that much. So their development is much slower and it's harder for them to catch hold and start hitting podiums and things like that. Cause they just can't invest as much time into it. So what's even cooler too? homeschool is awesome. Oh, and those same kids also, and what we love about it too, they get to travel to tournaments. Yes. That's what's awesome. I mean, we've got, what four or five homeschool kids now yeah. shooting at a very high level that shoot all over the country. I mean, mm-hmm. 
So they've got the parental backing, which is huge, the time, yep. and they can do the schoolwork on their own, you know, and yep. not miss class, we call it. Right. Because so. you got to leave now with the schedule with USA Archery. You got to be there Wednesday or Thursday yeah. just to do the event, you know. Yeah. So kids that have real school, I mean, well, I don't want to say real school, but kids that have organized jail, they have to, they have to be there through Friday. Hey man, you just do just do what I did when I was in high school and just you know miss half a year. Exactly. Yeah, sell your books, I, go pro. That's what I tell all the kids. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> for me. So you know what's funny? I, I'm glad we're on this subject because I wanted to pick your brain. So we actually are building some really really high level shooters where we are with our team, and. Um, how are you combating that, that teenage life, that teenage years of that, get their driver's license, they start chasing boys and girls and they, the archery takes a backseat. You know, I, it's funny cause I've coached a couple of kids that are really good archers, um, shoot at a national level and compete very highly, but I've coached them since they were probably like to say 14, I'm going to say 12 to 14, mm-hmm. man, 12 to 14, they're on fire. I'm lighting the world up, man. I want to be the next Connor Sears. I want to be the next, you know, Levi Morgan. This is what their goal and their life is. And then I watch them degrade as they approach that 16, 17 and they get their license. Then you start Mm -hmm. losing them to friends. You start losing them to boyfriends and girlfriends Um, to the point that I, you know, I have found as a coach, I want things for them more than they want them themselves. And it's, and it's let me down. That's the toughest part about being an archery coach for juniors yeah. or for anybody for that matter is the discovery that you can't want it bad enough for somebody else. Yeah. Yep. I've seen so many hyper talented individuals that could, the world is at their feet, yep. but they just want to go hang out and do hood rat stuff with their hood rat friends. Yep. Right. Exactly. And I lose a few that way. And I lose a few due to just pressure also, because mm-hmm. when they get to be 16, 17, they start getting that. What are you going to be when you grow up? What do you <laughs> study when you're in college? How many colleges have you applied to? How are you going to shoot archery when you're in college? How are you even going to pass college? How are you going to move away from home? Having never been away from home, how are you even going to survive and manage to shoot your bow? And here's where the pressure comes in. And everyone has been telling them, you're going to be the next Connor Sears. You're going to be the next Levi Morgan. You're going to be the next Jesse. If you just keep it up, you're going to be the next massive shooter out there. And we're all wanting this for you. Correct. Well, when all that pressure comes together in their last year of high school, looking into college, they just, during that stage of throwing away childish things, right? They throw away archery because that's the easiest thing to let go of to relieve the pressure, right? So I changed the narrative. It's like, look, man, you're going to be awesome and you can have anything that you want as long as you don't let it rust. Here's the deal. You got to go to school. Right. Right. So you're not going to be a superhero while you're in school. You can't be a superhero. However, you should pick the two or three best events that you just love to go to and just keep yourself adequately prepared for just those. Let's say you're going to do Vegas, Reading, and one cup event like Arizona Cup or Gator Cup or, you know, something like that. And just keep yourself prepared for those. You don't have to shoot 30 shoots a year. You don't have to keep trying to be Jesse because you got to do school. 
Right. Because take a look at me. You're not going to get rich shooting archery. (laughs) You need to have, you need to have that background, you know, ready for you so that if you do become the next Levi, if you're the 0.001% that actually are able to leverage your passion for archery into a viable business that makes you money, Mm -hmm. if you're that guy, you're good to go. But if you're not that guy, like almost everybody else, you're probably going to have to balance a real job or at least have some sort of business acumen in place in order to save yourself and still be able to compete in archery. Gotcha. So you got to go to school. You got to learn trade. You got to do something. So when I changed the narrative from you're going to be the next Jesse and everyone's counting on you to don't be a superhero, but don't let it go either. Don't let it rush. Shoot the ones, stay relevant, shoot the ones that are your absolute favorite, and then just buckle down on that schoolwork and then tell them, I promise that once that first year of school is over, it's going to feel much easier. Right. So I caution them not to let go of it right away. Just diminish, just hit the big ones, one big one, three big ones, whatever you manage. And then when you're in your sophomore, junior, senior year and things become easy and you got it, got the ropes down and then you want to start competing, you don't have to build it back up because you let it rust. You'll still have it. Right. Right. And uh, now with enough kids that have gone through the program, I can say, this is how he did it. And this is how he did it. This is how he's doing it right now. And now there's a few colleges. There's three or four Hornets going to school for free. Right. Mm -hmm. Because they were able to leverage their history in archery to a school that archery is a big deal to the school, like University of Cumberland's, U-Pike, and, you know, some of those schools, they're paying them to shoot. They pay their entry fees. They make sure they have equipment. They pay their room and board. They're paying for their tuition. And they're going to school for nothing, all because they learned how to shoot a bow when they were No, that's, that's actually smart. That's actually wise advice because it's been something wearing on me because we've got some talented individuals that are not leveraging that. And I've been going about it opposite. I've been kind of being the taskmaster, just driving them. No, and, you gotta, uh, you gotta loosen up because yeah. the amount of pressure, I barely remember what that felt like because it was hundred years ago, but I began to feel it again as I saw each new generation of juniors turn 16 or 17. And yeah. I started seeing it. I started losing some of them. And then I started changing, you know, the message so that they didn't feel pressure to please me. That the y'all got, they, you know, they got enough pressure to deal with, with school and family and, you know, get, getting straight A's and you know how these, tiger moms are out there with these kids in their archery. Just imagine what they are about their schoolwork. Right. 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 No, you're right. I try to be low pressure, man. It's like, we're going to Vegas. We're going to Reading. You know, we're going to Neem. We're going all these big shoots. Pick one and just jump in. I got you. If you have to pay school all by yourself, you know, and you just don't have the money, most of the time, the other guys on the team will throw in a little extra money to cover their rental okay. car fee yeah, right. or their, you know, their uh, housing cost or something just so that they can go because they want them to be there. Right. It's like, we can't go there without Colby. Yeah, exactly. You know, let's, let's all throw in an extra 25 bucks each and then Colby can go. Right. 
No, that right. makes, do that, no problem. Yeah, that makes so much sense because, you know, archery is, is once you learn it and you shoot at that level, you know, you don't typically lose it, but to your point, you get rusty. Yeah. And how long does it take to knock that rust off? And heck, if I could just keep them focused on one or two events a year and give them 30 days to prepare for that event, they're probably going to be pretty effective and shoot pretty well. And instead of shooting the insane schedule that we ask them to do, of course. Yeah. And it's way less pressure. They're not going there to win it. They're not going there to be a superhero, but they're supporting their friends who are there to win it. Right. Right. And they're staying relevant so that they don't rust around the edges. So right. when they can come back full on, they're ready. Yeah. Gotcha. You know, some of the things that I, in sport, at least, you know, growing up, cause you and I are probably, I'm 52. I'm going to hold it. George, are you? I'll be 50 in August okay, and so I'm not going easily into that. <laughs> you are, I know. You I know. I look insanely <laughs> fresh for You're my age. Awful sexy. <laughs> <laughs> but no, the, uh, you know, kids these days are so different than when I think you and I were growing up, you know, we had more singular focus cause we didn't have this thing, you know, oh, social yeah. media running our life. And, um, and I think that's wise advice because it's, uh, the, the kids, they're not like Bridger, even Bridger. I know you just, you were driven singular focus. Yeah. I mean, obviously I had full support from my parents and everything, but, still, but I, I went the, the opposite way. Like I dove into archery head first yeah. after high school instead of doing the college side of it. So but I also traveled a lot. So like I, I experienced a lot traveling to all the world cups, a lot of the world championships I went to overseas, all of that stuff. Not that that equates to a, a college degree by any means, but just in life experience, I have a little bit more than, than other people my age. Yeah. But I mean, I just went about it a different way, I suppose. But yeah, I mean, for me, I was more self-driven. Like I was one of the few people that wanted to do it Yeah. outside of high school and everything like that, you know? So yeah, that was such a- when I was growing up, every decision that I made was leveled against. If I make this decision and move forward with this, am I still going to be able to go to the shoots? Yep. A hundred percent. And everything that I did was, if I do this, is it going to open more opportunity? Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, I got lucky, you know, just kicking the can down the road and landing with the right people and you know, getting that good job with a good company, you know, who cared about what it was I was doing as much as I did. Mm-hmm. So not everybody gets to do that. But if in the decision-making process, you know, a lot of kids, I tell them this, while you're making decisions about school, balance your decisions against what your passion is. So if your passion is going to the events and maintaining, you know, a presence everywhere, when you order your classes and you see what day that they're on and, you know, rather than making all of your college decisions and arrangements and then trying to fit archery into it, maybe look at your archery schedule and see if it's possible to take that class on Tuesday Instead of Friday. So you can travel. Yeah. Right. So you can have that Friday, you know, and there's, there's a few that have figured it out. Mm -hmm. And then I'll say, okay, you're going to school next year. Okay. Call Tyler. And Tyler will tell you how he managed to organize his classes so that he could still get to the shoots and get straight A's. Right. Right. So do you think that one thing I was wanted to ask you about peaks and valleys of career? Um, archery, I think is one of the sports that I think has that where you go up and down peaks and valleys when you're at the top of your game. And uh, I've always said that as an athlete, you want to take advantage of those times where you are shooting your best, go and, mm-hmm. and, and uh, exploit the field as much as possible to, to podium as much as you can. Um, because in this industry, you know, it's all about 
we have long memories. You know, we oh, always remember, yeah. we, you know, we always remember when Tim was one of the best in the business, you know, in Gillingham and he went through that lull and now he's back at the top of the game in the senior side of things. And those peaks and valleys, I think make or break careers. And I see some of these young people like Bridger, he took advantage of being at the peak when he was, you know, five years ago on top of his game and just cleaned house. And, you know, and I know those valleys are hard to work through you know, maintain that sponsorship, maintain those, those relationships in the industry to, in the hopes that you come back up and ma'am, you're, you're in the game at the right time. Um, right. Do you ever think about that or how do you talk through the kids with that? I mean, cause that's gotta be, I think part of that decision-making process with those, with those guys. I'm, I'm constantly aware of that. And, uh, you know, growing up in the archery industry myself, you know, I've pretty much participated in archery in every facet that's available at some point or another during my lifespan. Mm -hmm. But the major undertone for anyone who wants to maintain themselves and maintain relevance and make money and, you know, do that sort of thing in archery is to kind of diversify what you're doing within the industry. That's one thing, mm -hmm. but also being aware of what your actual contribution to the industry is. Right. And people may not notice right away what you contribute, but if you are consistently contributing either through education, uh, uh, marketing, YouTube, Instagram, uh, design, uh, winning archery events, mm -hmm. you know, there's a bazillion different directions that you can go, but for my career, and this is how I advise the kids is that when you get ready to do this, you can't just do it on winnings alone because no. there's, there's 50 guys at the event and any one of them could win it at any time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. Right. And it can only be one winner. Right. So, if you are also contributing to the industry, managing a pro shop, teaching classes, if you're uh, giving seminars out on the road, if you're designing in the background for archery companies and handing them products, which they put out into the universe, you know, that sort of thing. If you're doing those things in the background, when you're not winning as much, your level of contribution is still high enough to make you valuable to sponsors. Right. So you don't lose your dough. Right. Yep. If you lose, have a losing season, they're like, we're not going to let you go because you're selling just as many bows for us now, you know, not winning as you did when you were winning. Correct. Right. Yeah. And uh, the, the biggest thing is, is how can you contribute? And we've had like big conversations with some of the kids. Crispy was one of them. We're oh, sitting yeah. around the table and he's like, how can I like leverage this into a business? How can I contribute? And I was like, well, your talent is in your videos and what you're doing right now is what I think you should do because you have a passion for it. It's working for you. You're, you have a good uh, persona that people enjoy. And this was when we were doing silly stuff like, you know, archery stereotypes oh, yeah. and <laughs> making silly videos and stuff and, you know, doing, you know, haters will say it's fake kind of things. Yeah, right. Right. And he got hot and heavy into the hunting and, you know, things like that. But that day at that table, we had this conversation about, well, you know, juniors are underserved. So why don't you come up with a podcast or a video series or something that's just for juniors that talk about how you guys participate in archery. There's four or five of them sitting around the table and they started this thing uh, called junior pro talk. Yeah. 
So they did some podcasts, they did some video things and, you know, that sort of stuff. And juniors got to it because they gave a real world view of what it feels like to travel you know, at the events, how to register for the events and what they do and what happens when they don't win. And, you right. know, all that because they talked about it while they were in the moment at the events. Right. right? Well, Chris B has grown up and he's got a huge channel, his bazillion subscribers and, you know, doing the whole thing and it's working great for him. He's making good money from sponsors, make good money from YouTube. And He's too old for junior pro talk anymore. (laughs) So he passed it over to one of the young kids that was like, how do I get involved? How do I start? He handed him the keys over to all the websites and the podcasting and you know, all that. So here's the stuff you just take off and keep going and they take off and keep going. Right. But it's finding how can you contribute to the industry at your level? And when you're consistently contributing to the industry, whether if you're winning or not, they recognize you as someone who's a lifer in the business or uh, someone who is there to consistently contribute. Right. And you'll still maintain sponsors and, you know, you won't have any trouble, you know, moving inside the archery world. Yeah, that's great advice. Absolutely. Amazing advice because it's going to start taking some of that to heart. Just quit being a slave driver. Yeah. (laughs) I'm bad. It'll open up your schedule a little bit more. Yeah, no kidding. In the end, archery is an at-will thing, dude. You know, it's they do it because they love it. Mm -hmm. You know, their mom stands over their shoulder and slave drives them through homework, and they slave drive them to clean their room, and they're trying to make decent humans out of them. But you can use archery as a tool to test them in a safe way, right. but to test them against real-world pressure and anxiety and performance and, you right. know, all that, all the while it being something fun that they're passionate about. Right. I think that's, you just said the key word, fun. I think it's yeah. the one thing that we start to lose when we start shooting at that level is the fun. You know, archery right. becomes a job. You know, I, I wrestled in college and, and, it was a job for me. I always told parents that when you get out of high school, you got to love your sport in high school. You have to live it and love it in college. And then it's got to be a passion to do it past that professionally because it's, right. it is, it, it's not for everybody. It turns into work. I mean, yeah, you got the little seven year old in there shooting a little wooden recurve and yeah. dad's like, Oh no, hold it like this. It was a dad. Go over there and sit down. <laughs> exactly. We do the same you know, thing. The mission here is for him to fall in love with it. Yeah. Fling arrows. So we're going to keep going. We're going to let him fall in love with it. So then when he says, I want to be the best in the world at 15. Yeah. And the hard work starts happening. He'll gladly engage in that because he loves it so much. There's no way he's going to stop. Exactly. Uh, you know, advice. Richard and I have been punched in the teeth plenty of times and we're coming back. We don't even think about not coming back. Oh, right? Yeah. Believe me. It's, it's just what we love to do, you know, so we're not going anywhere. Yeah. That's awesome. Hell, Great. archery sometimes feels like you get punched in the teeth more often than you don't. Yeah. Archery happens. Yeah. <laughs> oh, without a doubt. Yeah. It's, there's no doubt. I remember when I became a senior shooter two years ago, I loved it. I was the youngest old guy and I went in and started shooting really well in the ASA ranks. And I thought, wow, this is cool, <laughs> but I see better. 
PSA as a senior. There's no way. They have to judge distance. There's no <laughs> way I'm doing that. Well, there's a senior known class. There's a senior known. That's what oh, I is there? I didn't oh, think they yeah. had a senior known. No, come, come join the club. Dillingham wasn't telling the truth. Well, it's not a pro class. It's not a pro, but it's pretty close. Oh. You can shoot it as oh, a pro because yeah, it's the highest, it's the highest uh, known division for that. Kind of yeah. like the women, now the women's K-50, the women's K-50. What it was for the K-45 last yeah. year. So, okay. So that does exist. Because I'm like you. I'm not that's judging what he, That's what Scott shoots. That's what I shoot. I don't mess yeah. with the uh, the unknown. I I quit judging targets a long time ago. Yeah, but, I'll have uh, to go try that because it Brady Hempins and those kids out there are just embarrassing me out there. Oh, on the I can't even see good enough no. to know what I'm shooting at. Heck no. <laughs> it's like, what is that? They said it's a Wolverine. Are you sure? <laughs> it looks dark. It's just a dark blob. <laughs> exactly. No doubt. Smallest bear I've ever seen. Yeah. You're right. So George, one of the things we wanted to do, and I hope you're okay with this. I don't, I thought it would be fun because I know you were extremely opinionated like I am um, to talk about the arch archery, like stereotypes, the, the, the stuff that no one wants to talk about the, um, <sighs> You know, oh, y'all trying to get me in trouble now. Oh, hell yeah, that's what I want to do. I it. see what's up. Because how much <laughs> tuning is too much tuning? Yeah, no kidding. How many veins can I put on my arrow? Yeah. How, how, how much, much FOC is too much <laughs> FOC? Yeah. So, like, I wanted to seriously just one, and I was thought, you know, maybe just a one-word answer, but that's no fun. Because I watched one of your videos about one thing that drives me absolutely bananas. Because the internet, as beautiful as it is for our sport, um, Bridger and I can tell you we have a a rule. If you become a regular customer of ours and you come to us for advice as professionals on your equipment and your shooting, our number one rule is you stay off the internet. I mean, period. Yeah. Just, um, just don't. Yeah. yeah. Just don't. And, and I, we still get bombarded every day with our customer base that comes in. They're internet keyboard warriors. They know everything. Um, and we oh, just, yeah. at that point we smile and nod and ask them, what would you like us to do to fix your bow? Yeah. And we let them direct it. I'm okay with That'll that. That'll be 69.95. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, just, you know, some of the things that are out there that, you know, as an old school, I've been in this industry, you know, like you, since I was eight shot at all levels. I've been around shops my entire life. I was a shop brat growing up. Um, so I've kind of seen it all like you, um, right. but you know, some of the things like, and I'm just going to say one word and you may like it. I'm not going to sit there and disagree with you. I have my own opinion on a lot of things, but like, you know, the arrow clocking is a good one. I mean, that's total, uh, I use another word that I won't use a horse, (laughs) right? Exactly. (laughs) Well, see, here's the thing is, you know, I've, I've studied this, right. And I've worked with some really smart people on a lot of these kind of, you know, anomalies that happen within archery and does it, can you uh, find out which way your arrow naturally rotates out of the bow? Yes. Can you fletch your arrows in which uh, it goes with the flow with the natural rotation? Yes, you can do that too. Does it matter enough where your arrow hits to go through that trouble, to waste the time to go through this step, right? And not spend it on training, Right. Actual yeah, working I love this, on I love this. Yes. Right. Exactly. So waste that time clocking your arrows when you could have been working on your shot execution, which is like 80% of it. Right. Yeah. You know, is it necessary? And it's really not, you know, I, I, a good buddy's saying for that is, uh, is the juice worth the squeeze? 
Yeah. That's an excellent way to put that. <laughs> and in this case, the juice is not worth the squeeze. Right. No. And in most people uh, of a mediocre, you know, skill level, they're not going to be able to tune themselves to advanced. Well, you, I have a saying, I call it, just shoot your bow. That's what I want yeah. to make a shirt, a that's, t-shirt that's for that. That's one of my standard things. Yeah. Just shoot your bow. Isn't because that right, Jason? Shoot your damn bow. Cut out all that yeah. crap. Just shoot your damn bow. What most, are you shooting at, Jason? <laughs> shoot your bow. <laughs> most people... I don't think, and even Bridger, I don't know if you can, I mean, you get to a certain level. I don't, they can, I don't think they can outshoot that type of technology. I mean, is it going to matter? Is it going to make their groups better? Can they outshoot it in today's environment at their skill level? There's no way. Now they'll argue, I'm trying to find an advantage to help make me better, but they can't get past the fact that, you know, as a retailer, I have to be very cautious with this because I get angry with some customers when I want to tell them just shoot your damn bow because they want to buy points. You know, it's, right. it's what keeps me in business, honestly. And I have I to temper people, that. I tell people straight. It was like, I would love to take your money for exactly. that. But that is not gonna, it's, it's not, you're not going to see a dramatic improvement. Right. I will see a dramatic improvement in buying that new stabilizer over the one that you got. Correct. You know, Scott uses me. End, as a scapegoat oh, all the time. He I says, that dude was ranked, says, he was ranked fourth on the planet for guys that shoot carbon sticks with bows at pieces of paper. <laughs> and, and he, he doesn't, doesn't do it. that. He <laughs> I, never use him. I use them all the time because we yeah, got some I, guys, we have customers that will actually cut glue to make sure their arrows were within a half grain of each other. Total waste of time. Oh, I, you can't, and I, I, I've literally pulled hairs out of my head until I, and lay them on the grain scale to show them how much of that matters. And when you kind of put it in that perspective, they look at it and go, oh, wow. You know, because then yeah. they see how much it weighs versus what it's going to do. And they think five grains is the end of the earth. You know? Yeah. You know, if we were shooting 90 meters, you know, you might be able to tell the difference between a two or three grain difference in right. your arrows, but at 50 meters or shooting 3d, you're not, it's, no. it's, uh, you can spend your time better. You can't aim that good. That's why I yeah. tell guys all the time. Yeah. That's, you can that's spend awesome. your time way better. Yeah. We've been hearing a lot about arrow clocking. Somebody had to come out lately with a video series on it or something talking about it. And we've got a couple. I have of, to do a video about it now. Oh, it makes me crazy. <laughs> uh, I have an experiment that I did here in the shop where I, did the arrow clocking, right? And it rotated this way. Then I took the string off and flipped it over mm -hmm. and it rotated the, the other, other way. way. Yeah. Yeah. I, th I think and it's I took the servings off the top and the bottom yeah. of the string yeah. and it rotated the same way, you know, and it's like, <laughs> it, it doesn't matter. matter dude. Yeah, exactly. Um, so here's another one. This is a polarizing one. We may disagree on this one. What about uh, bare shaft tuning? So here's the thing. If you have a recurve bow with a finger release, bare shaft tuning is awesome. Agreed. Right? Agreed. Because it will actually tell you, is your cushion plunger too stiff? Is it extended too far? You know, that sort of thing. Right. A compound bow release, if you get a bare shaft to fly 50 meters and hit in the center of the bullseye, right? It says, yes, the arrow is flying straight out of the bow. It doesn't say that your bow is set up to be as accurately as possible in the face of your mistakes. Because mm -hmm. here's how I describe it. You have a bow that's perfectly balanced on a needle. If you touch it anywhere, it will readily move right. in that direction. 
But if you bias the weight of a bow to one direction and touch it, it tends to maintain itself. Correct. So if you have a bare shaft that flies at 50 meters and hits X's with a perfect shot, and then just touch a little bit of skin to the string with the next shot and the bare shaft goes haywire. Right. Right. With fletchings, it'll hit that far to the left at 50 meters. Right. So getting a bare shaft tune for me is just as useful as getting a clean hole through the paper. And it says, yes, you're begin ready. You're ready to begin group tuning. So when I, I had this discussion with Gillingham just the other day, I loved when I, anytime I'm near him, I'll wind him up about oh, something. Yeah. <laughs> just That's easy. You can have a three hour conversation <laughs> arguing about bow tuning. You know, and I love it. Yeah. Every time I always wish that I had a microphone, you know, going, okay. And, and what do you think about that? You right, know, right. so, uh, cause it's great. But I started going through and I said, you know, when you, when you got your bare shaft, I went through that same thing. I just told you, and he was like going, yeah, you know, yeah, you're, that actually makes sense. And I was like, yeah. I said, now when I go outside and do long range group tuning and I'm essentially shooting the bow at a line, either horizontally or vertical, making micro adjustments to see if it improves my overall six or 12 arrow groups. Mm-hmm. And when I make that adjustment, I see a slight improvement. Then I make another adjustment and it slightly improves again. Then I make another and it slightly improves again and I'll continue. And once I've gone too far, it'll begin to degrade again. Correct. So I can go back to that setting that gave me my absolute tightest horizontal, right? Mm-hmm. Then flip that line horizontal and then work on my knocking point till I get the absolute best vertical groupings. My bow is tuned in spite of my mistakes. It gives me the best groups. Usually when I come inside, you know, the hamski rest and, you know, an arrow that Archer's Advantage says is matched. Usually with a hamski rest, it tears a little bit high and a little bit left through the paper. I never fix that nope. because my bow is proven scientifically through repetition that it is grouping as good as I can make it group. Right. So what that does is it puts a little bit of a bias in the tune, just like opening up the bar on your stabilizer, puts just a little bit of a bias. So when you do have a little drag or something, there's a tiny bit of direction imparted on the flight of the arrow that kind of covers for those little things, that tiny loss of pressure, that little touch of your beard on the string, you know, those little things that just take your group from in the 10 to just barely out of the 10. Right. 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 You're not going to go from 675 to 710. Right. But you might go from 695 to 705. Right. Just right. because you catch that many more lines. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And for an advanced shooter who is in the 680s to 700, they're going to be able to shoot well enough to mark the difference between the two setups. Right. Exactly. Average shooters, you know, your weekend duffers that are out there shooting 650s, they will see improve improvements, but it, they won't see a dramatic score increase. Right. They could have a bare shafted bow and they wouldn't see a dramatic score increase there either. Right. But if they spent 20 minutes working on their shot execution, oh, they would see a dramatic yeah. change. Yeah. In their and that's, I'm the same way. I, 
I've, I'm a mechanical engineer. It's what I used to do for a living. And it drives me nuts because I get in these arguments with customers and actually people in general, because I call it witchcraft tuning. Yeah. You put veins <laughs> and they don't understand. This is like flying an airplane without wings. Can we do it? We can computerize control it to make it happen, but we're not going to do it. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I always get a kick out of the fact they don't believe that when you put veins or feathers on an arrow shaft, you are changing the dynamics of that arrow 1000%. It's not even close yeah. to being a bear shot. Across the board too. Yeah. And, 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 I, and, I, and the stiffness and the whole bit. Exactly. Yeah. And then I tell, you know, I get customers who are shooting really good, good groups and they'll get a video about bear shaft and they'll go t- shoot a bear shaft and go, oh my gosh, I got to change everything because my bear shafts aren't hitting with my, with my veins. This is, this is like, it's like the worst thing ever in the world. And they bring it to me. We need to fix this, Scott. And I'm like, wait a minute. You're, you were shooting outstanding. Yeah, but, but my bow's not tuned right. Oh, uh, how do you figure? Well, the, my bear shafts and my veins aren't hitting the same. I, I always ask the same thing. Do you, do you hit where you're aiming? Yeah. And if it's a hunting bow, do your broadheads hit with your field, field points, points yeah. where you're aiming? And that's it. And then, if I get, to, if I get two of those, that's the law. Oh, if yeah. I get two yeah. yeses on those, I could, I, that thing could be doing a front flip leaving the bow and I'm not going to mess with it. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Yeah. I, mean, I had one of the guys. You know, I'm not going to say who it is. You know, it sounds like Tyler Heritage, but anyway, uh, <laughs> he had just won. He had just won Arizona Cup. Oh gosh! And <laughs> shot his best match scores. You know, all the way through, and some some weather even. And then he's he points to his bow and he says, "Look at this with my spacers." And I was like, "Yeah." That looks a little weird. I said, "You just won that tournament with your best scores you've ever put down in matches. Are you sure you want to fix that?" Mm-hmm. He's yeah. like. Well, but, but it's a little bit messed up. I was like, but are you sure? Uh, are you sure you want to fix that? And they're like, yeah, I probably, I said, Tyler, you won the tournament. You're both shooting perfect. You're laying down excellent scores. Just a few minutes ago, you finished shooting an excellent score. I wouldn't fix your winning right now. <laughs> fix your winning. <laughs> You know, That's winning is pretty good. It drives me nuts. Yeah, you know, it does. A lot of the, a lot of the people that I help and supervise, they like go and they're like something crazy, like number one in the world, and they switch arrow companies. Oh yeah, it's like, yeah. why would you do that? Yeah. Oh yeah, you know they do. Yeah, they do yeah. it all the time. Bottom line, if it's working, don't fix on don't it. Don't fix on it. I'm going to use that one. Don't fix winning. That's a good yeah, one. Don't fix your winning. <laughs> don't fix it. Okay, so here's a big one. Nose buttons. Okay. So here's the deal with nose buttons. <laughs> Recurve bow. Nose buttons work great. Mm-hmm. It gives you a pretty good reference, yeah. right? Compound bows. Now I've experimented with the difference with a target setup and with a hunting setup, okay. right? If you have a hunting bow with a huge peep sight, a nose button will increase your consistency because that huge peep sight gives you a quarter inch of variation on your anchor and you can still see through it and see your pins. Gotcha. But if you're using like an eighth inch peep hole gives you about all the available light that your eyeball can use in low light. Right. Uh-huh. So that gives you like what a 32nd of an inch variation, you know, of head position and still be able to see through it. Right. A nose button isn't anywhere near as accurate as a peep sight. So using a nose button and a peep sight, 
uh, or a kisser button and a peep sight is like belt and suspenders. You know, <laughs> they both hold your pants up really good, but one of them does a great job of it. Right. Right. And uh, so with a target setup, especially compound at multiple distances, a nose button won't help you because you can't even use the same anchor at three yards at Reading as you do at 80 yards or 101 yards. You can't even use the same contact with your face. Right. Your nose button will be a quarter inch away from your nose trying to see the, your pin through the peep sight. Correct. So... I think it's depending on application target archery, not so much, but a big fat peephole on a hunting bow with some guy trying to like, Oh, here's another big pet peeve of mine. Fit the housing to the, to the peep, like ring them both together. Yeah. Oh, I got you. Look, I no, saw your you know face. Why? Cause I'm so excited that you face. were talking about he's this. Looking at, he's looking at me. I'm I've been hammering this for 20 years and nobody dude. will listen to me. But preach, brother. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna go into that in a second. But unless you have a big old huge peep site, a nose button's not gonna do you that much good other right. than make you sixteen dollars lighter. Right. You know, Josh Bomar laughs all the way to the bank with your money. Yeah. Hundred <laughs> percent. Don't, don't, don't get me started. I'm gonna save that one. <laughs> I just wrap here, surveys on my screen. I offer to tie in nose buttons now, tie them in with, you know, cause that's how we used to do it. We actually use knocking points where you tied them in. Cause you know, we've used these for years, years ago. Yeah. It's, it's going to cost you twenty nine ninety nine for me to tie that knot. <laughs> Joking. Yeah. But uh, they're like, Ooh, I, I don't want to do that. Well, yeah. might as well yeah. leave it loose anyway. You know, if you shoot a hundred, move it so move that your nose exactly. can touch it while exactly. you're looking through your feet. <laughs> <laughs> so wait, I want you to talk about this peep alignment. Okay, so here's the deal. With a compound bow, you know, everybody says, I even saw John Dudley say this, you know, uh, when you pull your bow back, always touch your anchor first and then look through the peep sight, right? And they emphasize that the anchor must be exactly right here. Put the knuckle here, split your fingers on your jawbone. Anchor is absolutely critical. They say, "Uh oh, my camera just died on me." Let's let me switch gears here. Um, they say it's just absolutely critical to make that work, and uh, I uh, wholeheartedly uh, disagree. Agreed. And here's why. Okay, so here's why. You. Um, the peep sight runs the show, and like I said earlier, if you have a 364 peep sight hole or even something that's just gigantic, like a eighth inch peephole, right? That's gigantic for target archery, right? You have only like a 32nd of an inch variation on head position. So the peep sight runs the show. Mm -hmm. So you're not shooting at your scope housing. You're shooting at the target. So you set your body up for the shot, right? then you're setting yourself up to be related to the target. So when you draw the bow back, put the glass on the target and then bring the peep in front of your eyeball, you're relating everything to the middle of the target. Correct. And you make sure that the peep appears to be centered to the target, not the housing. The dot is in the middle of the housing. It's going to naturally center itself. And people uh, overly emphasize that centering when you get into bright light. They want to use a huge peep sight because their eye is so small that they can't see the edges of the scope. So they use a big giant peep so they can see everything. Right. 
they're inhibiting their accuracy by using a giant peep. Right. The peep runs the show. Right. So Iowa voice said that your eye. That See, we I'm as, this camera here. Let's let this work again. All right, but carry on. But no, we as uh, as humans, we have this natural ability to, sh- to shoot and to rifle, I call it, meaning that we, our eye is going to gravitate to the brightest object in the center of any circular object. And regardless of whether you match that peep with your housing to make sure that alignment, your eye goes straight to center nine out of 10 times. And how I proved it, how I proved this one day, one of my young students had forgot to put his dot on his lens and we were starting leak. And I said, Cody, just shoot the damn thing. And he's like, no, there's no way, dude. I said, just shoot it. And I bet you he ended up shooting a 99, 299. Yeah. Uh, with nothing to reference other than him looking down the middle of the lens and staring at the X. He was framing, you know, his, his, uh, his housing around the actual dot down there at the Vegas tar- target and shot an amazing score. I did it and shot a 98 with it and to prove my point. And then because these people as part of their shot process, I think they waste a lot of time and effort oh, yeah. in getting that alignment perfect. And it takes them forever, you know, and you can watch them do it and they're already in the, in the, approaching fatigue, you know, it's taking their shot process where it should be eight to 10 seconds to, to 18 to 22 seconds. And they're, yeah. they're moving all over the place and they can't figure out why, because they're, they've got all these points of reference they are trying to get right. And I've argued, and I actually took a guy the other day and, and you, the option site, have you ever seen the option site where it's a, got a and I took a guy at full draw, one of my, one of my staff shooters, cause he was arguing he couldn't be accurate with it. And at the very top of the housing, he's like, Scott, I can't see anything. I can't hit anything, you know? And then I was, I took it and roll it right down the middle. All of a sudden it was perfect. And I'm like, dude, you're, you're you don't understand. It's, it's, you're, you're way too reliant on this matching and quit doing worrying about it and get your target acquisition immediately and put your, right. dang, and put your damn pin on it. Yeah, put and the panel. Everything else it. works. It'll work. Yeah. And the, these guys, I tell you, they uh it's I'm so uh, glad to hear you talk about it because it is one of my biggest pet peeves in the process of shooting of this peep alignment. Yeah, I, I, it drives me nuts. And people think I'm some kind of witch or something yeah, when I exactly. start telling them to quit circling their housing. Same I had way. the same deal with a kid. It was pouring down rain and it was at Hornet Camp. We're all out shooting in the backyard and and he wiped his lens, his dot out of his lens. I was just, just keep shooting it. Shot the highest score he's ever shot at exactly. 50 meters and immediately came inside and put a dot in his lens. <laughs> I was like, well, you fix that. That's fixed all that high score in there. Yeah. that's oh, awesome. <laughs> I still ain't seen anybody show up to a tournament without a dot on their lens. No, so. <laughs> no. And I don't recommend it either. No. But I, I mean, I understand what you're saying, but yeah. the, he's talking about one of our customers. I'm not saying like, Scott's was giving me the side eye because I, you brought that up. But no. when I say reference your site, it's more just like, make sure you can see your housing when you look through your peep. It's not necessarily like make sure the white lines around your, or your peep sites around a white line or anything well, like think, that. Let's but think about that for a minute. Make sure that you see can new, see the site when you look through the peep. If you can see the dot on the target, you're seeing the site exactly. when you look through the peep. Well, right? I agree. But I also know that like for me, if I'm shooting and like I can't see the right side of my scope housing, but my dots in the middle, I'm going to hit left. Will you though? No. Yes. I proved it with Keishnell. 
Keith Snell yeah. couldn't believe it. I, I mean, I've, I've, I've only, I've only missed like, 3,000 points at, at a FIDA tournament uh, for I having my sight too far. I would take your pen and put it point. just to the inside of your peephole and then shoot. I took a, I had as long more, as the peephole is yeah, small, it works. We, we had one of our staff shooters, Keith Snell. He's a really good archer. And he, I, he didn't believe me. So I, we took his, I took all the serving off his peep and I moved it an eighth of an inch up. I said, shoot that target. And he did. And he X'd it. I moved it an eighth of an inch down from center, shot the target, X'd it. He was in shock. He's like, you're not kidding. This doesn't matter. I'm like, no, it doesn't matter. Well, if your anchor your points the same. I will yeah. rifle that center of that peep. If you are staring at that X and referencing, this is the other thing we, you know, we talk about a lot is do we, do we look at the peep, uh, the pin, or do we look at the target? I always get that all the time. And I'm an X wing shooter. Absolutely. You got to see what you're aiming at. Right. I tell them to look at the pin in your background vision while you're staring at the X and make the X somewhat disappear. Yeah. I'm really going to blow it here. This is, this is why if you look at the target, the aiming component can be the subconscious thing that you're doing Boom. so that you can consciously run your shot and shoot a good arrow. Absolutely. If you're looking at your dot, you have to consciously be watching where the dot is and yep. making two comparisons to make sure that they come together. You run out of bandwidth to shoot your bow and you suck. I, I think guys confuse bow forgiveness for that. And meaning that I, and how I explain it to my archers is that if you're staring at your pen, or your dot. And all of a sudden, you know, your pen walks, it moves. There's no way we can stop it. And all of a sudden your shot breaks, boom, over here. Well, your arrow goes over there because that's what you're concentrating on. Mm -hmm. but when you're staring at the X or staring at the bonus 12 ring and your pin's moving and you're still staring at it, and all of a sudden your pin runs over here, but you're still staring there. Our brains have an amazing ability to hit what we are looking at. Kind of yeah. like with wing shooting. When I'm wing shooting on clay targets, we I never look at the bead. I'm staring at that clay the whole time in flight and breaking the target while I'm looking at it. Right. And guys, I think confuse that for forgiveness when it's reality, the, the proper way to shoot, to shoot a bow. You know? So, so it looks like my camera has gone black uh -oh. again. That's okay. It hey, keeps saying, saying uh, about, internal temp too high. Yeah. Brian, it's the, are it's the bane. too hot, George. It's the bane of the Sony well, cam. Pause real quick, George, and we'll re-pick up because we got to do a battery change anyways. Okay. Well, let's see. Let me check my schedule here. I may have somebody coming up at yeah, 2. Or we probably got to wrap up pretty quick, too. Yeah, so I got we've somebody been, coming we've up. Open, we've been open for three hours. and Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> That's why <laughs> so I think so let's, just, let's just wrap it up. This let me, one. Let we'll him get this battery end. up real quick, and we'll wrap it up. Okay. We got to do a 2.0. There you go. So anyways, yeah, I'm just glad to hear you talk about some of that, George. And I know we got to run because it's getting late. Um, I know you have an appointment coming up. We'd love to do a 2.0 with you. I've still got a multitude of questions for you. And I know yeah, these guys do it also for sure. And, uh, but we appreciate you coming on board with us today. I'm sharing some insight uh, from you. You're, like I said, I think you're the best in the business and well, I appreciate you. you coming on today. And good luck. I know you got a lot of stuff coming up with the, with the para team and, and gosh, Lots of busyness. Yeah, yeah. Lots of busyness coming up here pretty soon. Absolutely. Well, you take Start care. Paddling in the ocean. <laughs> exactly. And the, on the 2.0 though, yeah. I want to take at least 15 minutes. George, I want you to explain to Scott how to use Vane Master Pro. Oh, 
please. Gosh. Oh, should we do that? Bangmaster oh, Pro lessons over Zoom. So I'm an engineer. We'll be like office at, hours with Alec, at, Alec Lindsay. Everyone get your Bangmaster Pros. Let's do this. You Wait, won't touch it. I'm a Bitsenberger guy because I've been using them for my entire life. Yeah, it's easy to use because they haven't changed them in 30 years. Exactly. Well, probably longer than that now. More than that. About 40 years. Oh, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. old. That's for sure. Yeah, we'll figure something out. There you go. George, thanks again, man. We appreciate it. Yep. Thank you, you very much. Thanks for talking to you guys. Take care. All right. We'll see. That was awesome. So let's wrap up our side too. But uh, what's really cool is we get a chance to, gosh, he's got so much good stuff. I mean, good stuff. That's for sure. And he talks, he's, I don't know, he explains it in layman's terms, which I love. I mean, it's pretty simple stuff. It's funny because we just had Philip walk in. Here's one of our owners. And what did he say? It's, it's just a sticking a, string. It's a, stick a string, dude. How complicated can it be? <laughs> it's 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 well, not that complicated until you start adding wheels to it. No, well, even then, come on, dude. I mean, it's uh, it's funny because we have these guys come in all the time. You guys know how this works. The bow hunters. Mm-hmm. You guys shoot that four inch circle. You know, sixty arrows. Well, that's easy. Easy, go and do right, it. Go do it. Go do it, brother. Go for it. <laughs> you know, because a bow hunter thinks that at 20 yards, he can hit a four inch circle all day long, never deviate. Not one yeah. time missing. It's hilarious to watch it go try it. Or you get the bow hunters you're, that want to tune their bow like a target bow. Yeah. Yeah. Your brain starts to do some weird shit when you, when you make it do the same thing a million times in a row. And when you know you're straight. Yeah. <laughs> They'll usually shoot 20 or 30 like really good ones and be like, oh gosh, I haven't missed yet. Boom. <laughs> <And> that's it. <laughs> you were getting that a four. Or when you're, you know, when, when they're posting up scores underneath your bail. And you see the guy next to you and you're like, oh man, I have to shoot this to catch up. Yeah. Well, guess what? You're not going to do it now. Yeah. We got to get George back on though. Cause I'll tell you, that's probably just the tip of the iceberg with that guy. I mean, yeah. he is a, I know Bridget, you've been he's, with shooting around him in your entire career. For the most part. Yeah. He's been around the block. Yeah. A few a times. times. Yeah. He's one of the, he's been one there, of done the, that, got the t-shirt. Yeah. He's the yeah, encyclopedia. He might have designed the t-shirt. Yeah. Huge joke. He is an encyclopedia. Um, all right. That man's been a long day, folks. We appreciate it. That was going to be a long episode, but I hope you enjoy it. Um, and we will catch you next week. I don't know what we got going on next week. We'll figure it out the day before. We'll figure it out the day before. <laughs> or morning of. Something like that. Yeah. Now, again, just give us your input. Give yeah. us your input. Let us know what you want to hear. Let us know who you want to hear. Yeah. And we'll try and do it. So until next time. All right. Thanks, guys. 